Episode number 77. If you had the over-under, under 76 and a half episodes, you lose. <laughs> I, start, I, start, I start with some gambling because $6 billion was, was gambled yeah. on Sunday. Were you, did you have any of the $6 billion? Any of your money, a part of that $6 billion wagered on the... On the Super Bowl? Not this year, no. I, Nothing. Uh, I stayed out, yes. No, not even a, no squares. Not, no squares. I had squares, and then I gave them up before the game started because my, my son had a bunch of his buddies over, high school buddies over. Oh, okay. One was, wasn't coming, wasn't coming, and then showed up. The squares were all divvied out. I had a, a, like six or eight squares. <laughs> yeah. And then he shows up before the game starts and like, what's the story with the squares? And he's left out. So oh. I said, hey, you, you, you can take mine. And then he won everything. <laughs> Is that right? Yes. He had 0-0? Zero, zero he, he no, he, the 0-0 zero, zero was the second and third quarter. Yeah. He had the first and the final. And the final, you got double. Oh. He won all the cash, all the prizes. <laughs> of course. They were all my squares, and I got nothing. I hosted the show. <laughs> right. I hosted the party, and I gave my squares up, and some high schooler is going to be spending my money. You pay for everything and it counts for nothing, right? <laughs> I, I paid mean, for the Domino's pizza. Of course, yeah. That's the first time I think I've ordered Domino's in like since I was in college. Oh, is that right? Yeah, kind of. You- it kind of actually reminds me of an old story that you should have me tell of uh, yelling out the window. Did I tell you that story about what, what we used to do in Syracuse, the shenanigans? No, go on. Yeah, I'm ready for the story. But we're in the T. Should I do oh, it in the T section? Yeah, sure, I can do it in the T section. First, let me say Mitch Unfiltered is available on most podcast platforms like Apple, Spotify, Podcast Addict. Uh, please subscribe and rate us. And by all means, just click play on all episodes, even if you don't have time to listen. Strengthen the health and the future of Mitch Unfiltered. Help us out. We do two full shows per week. We drop on Mondays and Thursdays. If you'd like to have access to the Thursday show, you have to be a patron. You can become a patron for as little as $5 a month by just going to MitchUnfiltered.com and clicking on become a patron. And we'll do what? 77p. We'll drop that on Thursday with the guests and the whole thing. Yep. It's, a, it's a full-fledged show. Full on Just no, no commercials. Right. Nothing from our sponsors. No interruptions except for from me. Should I tell you this story, the shenanigans? You want to know what Mitch was like in college? <laughs> of course. Well, I went to college in, in, at the Harvard of Central New York. Oh, is that what they call it? Is that what, you, is that what your mom was telling her friends? What do you know? When I, when I, when I say Syracuse, New York, what do you think? Ah. You probably think Jim Beheim. Yeah, I think yeah. Do you think Snow? Well, yeah, I mean, East Coast, I think you okay. know, well, you New York gets snow. For a right. long time, and I don't know anymore, we used to know the stats. It was the snowiest city in America. I just think Buffalo would be for some reason. We're right next to Buffalo. Oh, there you go. Okay. Snowiest city, snowiest region in America. I mean, <laughs> a, a, a South Florida guy with a <laughs> right. windbreaker went up there because <laughs> of the fancy schmancy broadcast school. Yeah, yeah. I went up there with a windbreaker on yeah. and like... I didn't have no. I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I mean, snow up to your knees. You had to walk forty minutes oh. in it to go to class to take exams. Who needed that? Yeah, right? Schools aren't. I mean, no classes are canceled because right. of snow up there, right? They just live with it. So when you when you see the Carrier Dome on TV, literally right across, and this was by accident, I'd ask, right across, right across the driveway, almost sharing the same driveway as the Carrier Dome was my residence my first two years oh, Sadler wow. Hall oh so the dorm is right that, right there was one door cool. there's one door there's actually two dorms two dorms right next to the carrier dome one was called wow. Sadler I'm assuming it's still there and we we shared a courtyard and then there was this high rise called Lawrence and Hall and people in Sadler didn't like the people in Lawrence and, and Lawrence and <laughs> didn't like the people in Sadler and you had some rivalry heated, heated flag football right. games we outside. just couldn't get along oh yeah those flag football games got rough and tumble I'm sure and what I used to do this was I mean what I even think about that I don't even know if this is funny I don't right. even think you'll think this is funny 
But what I used to do when I was living in Sadler is in those days, the big thing for phones, no cell phones, right? No computers, yeah. no cell phones. I don't, I don't know if people understand that. No, no cell phones. You had phones on each floor. Some people had phones in their room. Oh, that was big time. If you had one in your room, yeah, wasn't it? We had, we, I, I was big time. Yeah. I had a speaker phone in my room. But basically, you called when you wanted to get in touch with somebody. You called the floor of, I know that people don't understand yeah. this, the floor of their dorms. And this Lawrenson place, I mean, it was like, there's like 30 30 stories, like 25 stories. So in the heat, sorry, heat is the wrong word. In the midst of the winter, when there's just pounds of snow, I would call with a bunch of guys, I would call one of the floors in Lawrenson, like 23, and I'd say, hey, can can you tell the guy in 2312, this is... This is Frank from Domino's. Yeah. I'm here I'm here with 2312's pizza. Oh and they would have to they'd say, "Okay, hold on, let me go get the guy in 2312." And he, inevitably he'd go and he'd come back and say, "There's nobody in 2312 or they they didn't order a pizza." And I'd say, "Oh, you got to be kidding." Well, I'm downstairs and I have a pizza. Does anybody want it? I, 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 there's no sense in me taking it back. I'll give it to you for two or three dollars. I'll just give it to you three. And inevitably, the guy who answered the phone, the Porsche Mendrick, of course, I mean, would who say, wouldn't? He's a college kid. I'll yeah. take the pizza for two or three dollars. So now what he's got to do is go down 23 floors, go across all the snow, oh. come into Sadler, then go out to to get to the where the where the delivery guy would be. Yeah. Well, we would all then run to the window. And we'd open up the window because we only had like five or six floors, seven floors, eight yeah, floors. Yeah. And we'd see like in the middle of the night, the, guy, <laughs> the doors of Lawrence would swing open. That is right? funny, yeah. The doors of Lawrence would swing open and some schmendrick would come out and it was snowing and he's braving the yeah. snow and we'd yell, hey buddy, your pizza's right here. <laughs> see, no internet back there. We had to, no we internet. Had to find things to do to pass the time. That's right. And, and the guy would look up like, what? Yeah, your pizza's right here, you that's you know? awesome. And then he'd have to turn around and go, right, tail between that's, his legs. That's the shenanigans. That's what I was up to from 1985 to 1989. That sounds about right for college at about that time. That sounds about right. <laughs> Poor guy looking oh, forward to his free pie. It worked, by the way, it worked every oh, I'm sure. And I did it once every two weeks, different floor. Just call a yeah. different floor. Nobody, they never talked amongst themselves. Yeah. Hey, be careful for the Domino's guy that's going to call. <laughs> and I, Everyone's too and embarrassed. On Friday <laughs> night, we'd all have a drink or two. Hey, yeah. Mitch, let's do the Domino's that's thing. Really we'd get funny. a guy from like 28 coming out. We'd see him. There's only one guy that could be coming out in the storm. <laughs> right. a, a guy who wants a $2 pizza. You're dealing yeah. with easy marks because you're yeah. sick of the food. Domino's was kind of a big ticket item back then. You know, it was free pizza too. <laughs> I used to work at Little Caesars in college and I would, oh, bring, you did. I would bring free pizza home. I would literally just set it in the dorm and people, it was like hyenas would just at- attack it. I mean, it free pizza, you know. So I, I'm sure it would work every It worked time. out in the radio business too. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> you put a free donut down and people would be like diving to the table, right? Please tell me you remember that. You may not. So we had this sports pit at KJR. We should for those start the show do- sometime. Okay, I have to tell you this. Okay, you're, yeah. I think you'll get a kick out of it if you were there. So you remember the sports pit in like the, the first building we were in? Michael Jordan? Yeah, I think I remember the first building that right. we were in. Yeah. So we're in the yeah. sports pit. And I know pit. who Michael Jordan is. And I, <laughs> okay. I think it might be like 11, but there's there's like two or three pizza boxes sitting there. Yeah. there You're was, talking about 190 Queen Anne now? On 190. Okay. Yeah. There was no pizza. I mean, it was from like the night before, but you know, people <laughs> couldn't pick up after themselves. Right. So Pat Howler was Gas's producer. Oh, yeah. So this guy, Pat the duck, says- The runner, The running duck, that's right? right? All right. The star of uh, Fontaine or La Fontaine yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. He says, all right, what's what we're going to do? We're going to take bets on how long it takes Softy to check if there's any pizza. <laughs> 
Thompson. <laughs> so we all put our times down. Remember the whiteboard was up? Eight seconds, 42 seconds. And there's it's like, who was timing? It was like, I, I don't know who timed it, but we, we did as soon because we knew he was coming in. There's like eight of us there. I don't know. We should have been working probably. Every Everyone took bets, and it was, it was like 45 seconds. When he walked over and lifted that That's box, so we lost That's it. That's so funny. We lost it. So, yeah. Oh, Pizza God. humor. Yeah. Yeah, the old radio. That was days. funny. Anyway, on uh, on this episode 77, I do I do want well let me tell you who the fourth, the third, and the second guest, because I would want to talk to you for a second about the first guest. Okay. So the fourth guest will be Andrew Lopez, ESPN New Orleans Pelicans insider on Zion Mania. He's played five games yeah. as of the recording of this thing. He's doing great. Yes. He He's doing great. He's high flying. He's blocking balls out. So this yeah. guy, Andrew Lopez, has been covering him forever. He travels with the team. He's courtside for every oh, game. Wow. He's gonna give us kind of the the what's going on in New Orleans over this. I watched a video of him, I think it was today, I don't know, whenever, and I was like, I think his head is above the the rim uh, overweight overweight like good. i think what if he gets in shape <laughs> his head's gonna be over the pretty backboard good. pretty good he looks good uh, to me so he's the fourth guest the third guest is jeff goodman regular college basketball guest stadium sports college basketball insider the crazy season of the hoops year now hits february and i do want to ask him about Jaden mcdaniels because people in this town have turned yeah. in the biggest way on Jaden. people I, it's really sad because he's still only 18 he's 18 years old local guy federal way yeah. chose to stay home and he is just boy he is the he is the punching bag of all husky fans that are up to here with the husky basketball team so i want to talk to him whether Jaden mcdaniel is there any chance that he's playing his way out of the lottery if maybe you know we all just assumed that he was going to be a lottery pick yeah. with, with the way things are going for him is it possible that nba teams would say oh he needs he needs another year to mature to get mature physically mentally whatever yeah. i want to ask jeff goodman about that the second guest will be kevin pelton i don't know if you're paying attention but uh, espn.com nba writer kevin pelton damian lillard oh been on fire not not ju- I, I i don't i think that's an understatement i think <laughs> the six games are historic He's doing things in the last six games Michael Jordan never did, Wilt Chamberlain never did, Kobe Bryant never did. Literally the last six games has been one of the greatest six-game stretches in NBA history. Kevin Pelton's going to kind of put it into words for us on this episode 77. I do want to talk to you about the first one. The first guest after we're finished with our first segment, we'll do our, we haven't even started our first segment. That's right. (laughs) We'll do our first segment, Super Bowl, a little bit of Super Bowl stuff, some other fun stuff, and we'll also talk a little bit more about Kobe. The first segment, I kinda, I kinda was on the fence on whether to do. I'm curious about what happened in that helicopter. It's now a week, we're, we're recording this a week later. We had to record 76 the day of, the night of. And I don't know how you feel about this, but as the the week went on and I had trouble getting away from this and my mind being on those 13-year-old girls going to a basketball game and losing their futures and their lives and Kobe and everybody else on board, the tragedy of that, I kind of still was curious about what happened in that helicopter. Now, I, I'm assuming that some people will think, oh, he's go- he's gone, Mitch is going for the titillating or the whatever the word is, the sensational aspect of this, shame on you, Mitch. And if you are one of those, I don't want people to be offended by this. I have decided, or I decided, I did the, I've already done the interview, obviously, uh, to to have on a an FAA helicopter pilot and examiner. He's an examiner and a pilot. Okay. He's been flying for, he's been flying helicopters for twenty five or thirty years, whatever it is, 
to talk about what he thinks, to try to recreate and to try to tell us what happened. What went wrong up there? Was it avoidable? Was it not avoid- avoidable? Was it mechanical? What about the light? What all this? these details we're finding about the, the company that had the helicopter and the, the licenses that they did have and that they didn't have? I'm interested in that stuff, and I and I wanted somebody who knows a lot more about taking a helicopter up than I do to try to explain to me what what happened Sunday morning. I hope people are not put off by that. Well, I was going to ask, what's your? Why would people be put off? What's I your don't big know. fear? I just I just told you that people would think that that's a, you know, that's a that that's is it like in, you think it might be sensitive? sensitive right? Okay. He's not being sensitive by yeah. doing that. I, I hope that's not the case. Yeah. I'm trying to be informative of, okay, what happened? You know, are helicopters safe? If they're not safe, is this going to be the impetus for some examination of that industry and that business? I, I, I want to get into the to the specifics about what happened on Sunday last week. That's all. To me, it's an interesting perspective. Okay. I really want to hear what a pilot has to say. because And is it a bad thing if, in fact, this we can maybe help people for – maybe stop this from happening again. If we talk about it more, I don't think we need to just sweep it under the rug and be like, ah, oh, we right. don't need, you know, it's insensitive. Right. What if it helps somebody? What if this guy knows something, you know, that, that maybe Kobe's pilot didn't know. So I think it's a good thing. And I'm, I'm curious too. I'm very interested in, in what the perspective of a pilot. Okay. So what happened? his name, by the way, is uh, Matt Johnson. You know, another Matt Johnson. Oh, stretch. Yeah. This is a different matchup. Matt Johnson, FAA, FAA licensed helicopter pilot and examiner. Uh, he's going to piece together for us what went wrong last Sunday in the uh, in the day or on the morning that none of us will ever forget where we are or where we were. Yeah. Right. All right. So that's episode 77. And hot shot. This episode 77 would not be possible without our partners like Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest with offices along the West Coast. Not only the originator of Evervestment.com, which is a, a relatively new program that caters to those of us that don't have the big wealth that their other clients have, but still want to grow our money. They're one of the biggest reasons that we're still alive and well today. Mitch Unfiltered and the podcast each and every Monday and Thursday. Evergreen Golf Call. Check them out. Evervestment.com. E-V-E-R-V-E-S-T-M-E-N-T. Com. Zeke's Pizza, more sports, more pizza, more craft beer at a true Northwest original. My family and I love all of our evenings out at Zeke's Pizza, including our March Madness family pool. 17 terrific locations. We choose the one in Bellevue in March from Linwood down to Tacoma and now straight to your door. Download the Zeke's Pizza app. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Daniel's Broiler, remember, a bottle of Vouve Clicquot Champagne. For $40 to celebrate Daniel's 40th birthday this month, the month of February, at the Leshy location. Regularly $145. This month, $40 at Leshy with the order of one entree. Daniel's Broiler, Leshy, South Lake Union, Bellevue, and the spectacular new Daniel's in the downtown Seattle Hyatt Regency world-class steakhouses. And the Kirkland office of Gill Mortgage. Make sure you give Jordan Flowers' team a call. I had lunch with him just the other day on Friday, 425-250-3150. So many great opportunities at refinancing makes sense for you and your family, saving lots and lots of money each and every month. People all over the country have been reducing their monthly payments and even pulling thousands and thousands of dollars out to do renovations or whatever. The Kirkland office of Gill Mortgage. This is episode 77, and it begins right now.
unfiltered. I'm not saying there aren't good managers in the American League. I'm saying tactically speaking, late in games, when the pitcher's spot is due up, there's a lot of shenanigans, a lot of finagling, a lot of, hey, I'm going to do this. And and they, they on the other dugout, they're anticipating who's going to pinch hit for the for the pitcher, and they're making pitching decisions. I mean, there's just a lot of chess. There's a lot. I'm just telling you, there's a lot of chess. Now, maybe you don't care about that, and you just want to see an extra hitter, uh, a ninth real professional hitter, because you watch a, a pitcher go up there and hit 125. It's just no fun. I get it. I get it. Unfiltered. I wouldn't ever call myself the president of the Kobe Bryant fan club. In fact, when we would have these debates on the radio station or so forth, who was better, LeBron or Kobe or Michael, I was always the guy that was like, Kobe? It's not that I don't, that I dislike him or that I revered him. It's just, I can't, and I think it's the 13-year-old girls. I can't get my arms, and we have school shootings, and we have pediatric cancer, and kids are dying of terrible diseases, and yet these 13-year-old, these precious three 13-year-old girls going to a basketball game, and their futures are over, I I can't come to grips with that. For whatever reason, that's just throwing me for a loop. Mitch is unfiltered. I'm going to stick with my prediction of Garoppolo's going to have the ball with a couple minutes left down, maybe four. And? And he's going to drive down and win it. The 49ers are going to win the Super Bowl. Pretty darn close, if I might say so myself, Mr. Hotshot Scott. Not too bad. You, did, you didn't have the outcome, though. No, I didn't. <laughs> you didn't cash the ticket. I could have, though. I was pretty close. So you said at the, be- the beginning, the first half of that is Jimmy Garoppolo has the ball down four inside of two minutes. And what was it? 156 to go? That's right. 156. 24 to 20. Yep. And he's got the ball. Got the and ball. you are right on the button. Now, you <laughs> said he's going to come through. He's going to come through. This and is you know, going to be I, Jimmy's time. And I think a lot of people, that was, by the way, from episode 76p on Thursday for the listeners who don't who are not patrons the interesting part is I would I would bet that a lot of people who are patrons that listen to us might have said when you said that you know that sounds right except they would have disagreed with you that he would come through down the clutch down the stretch yeah I really thought you know how Mahomes had the big game in the AFC championship they said well this is like his this is Mahomes Kind of his, um, you know, whatever the term signature is. Signature moment. Signature signature game and okay, moment. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was going to be the case for Jimmy because he really hasn't had one, right? I mean, he, he's not throwing the ball a ton. They're, they're, yeah. they're sort of winning. Display. Game they, managing a little bit. They yeah. said that about Russell Wilson back in, at the beginning. Maybe they still say that about So I him. thought this is going to be Jimmy's yeah. game. He's yeah. going to be down four. He's going to drive, and they're going to win. Well, he was down four, and he was driving. <laughs> he yes, had the he ball, was. but he wasn't able to come through. And uh, episode 77 begins as the Kansas City Chiefs. Our world champions. By the way, episode Jeff Bryant. Oh, Jeff, I mean, <laughs> all I know is 80 Seahawks. Remember that one guy said? <laughs> Jeff Bryant, I've been waiting for you to say Jeff the Bryant. The 1982 first round draft choice of the Seahawks. Episode 77. Episode Porkchop, Floyd Porkchop Womack. Do you remember Floyd Womack from, he was an offensive lineman oh, for Mike Holmgren? That's right, yeah. And Holmgren used to call him Chop, and it used to bother me. So Chop this and Chop that. Oh. Yeah, Flo- Floyd Porkchop Womack wore number 77. Uh, Husky offensive, all-American offensive lineman Olin Krutz wore 77. 
at Washington. When I was 23, uh, Olin Krutz was hitting on my girlfriend at UW. Come on. And it's one of the few guys where I would have said, she's yours. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen this guy? Oh, I have. So I remember reading the scouting report on him, and this thing made me laugh so hard. Uh, who would ever say this about any human? The line was, may have overdone the weightlifting a bit. And I'm thinking to myself, that's a negative? I've overdone the way. How many years would I have to live for someone now, to say that about me? Is there some sort of a rule? Isn't there some sort of rule against a guy from East Eastgate State or University of Southern Crossroads yeah. dating a girl? You're saying the girl was going to the University of Washington? She was, yes. And so was he at the time. Yes, he was. And, and a- you weren't. No, 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 yeah. no, no. They, yeah. I, I don't like think that, that I think that that's against the rules to begin with. I don't think you should be hobnobbing with the <laughs> University of Washington girl. The best of both worlds. I get cheap <laughs> tuition and I go to all the UW parties. It was awesome. <laughs> so there's your episode Olin 77 Kruitz. local guy. Olin Krutz wore he didn't wear it, I don't think, in the NFL with 50 Bears. something, was, maybe. Yeah, like 63, 62, okay, yeah. 61, something like that. Uh, and then the national ones, a lot of hockey guys. I don't know if you're a hockey guy. Ray no, Bork, no, no. one of the best defensive players in the history of the NHL, were 77 for the Bruins. Paul Coffey, uh, Pierre Turgeon, the galloping ghost, Red Grange wore 77. Oh, that's weird. And a Li- Lyle Alzado. Oh, how many times we talked about Lyle? I love Lyle Alzado. Lyle Alzado wore 70. So those are some of the the international superstars yeah. that are 77. No Jim Jeffcoat from the Cowboys? Uh, I think he wore 77. But I, sure don't think, I don't think he had enough of a career to make All our right. list here. He, he's he's no Jeff Bryant. <laughs> <laughs> it was so confusing. I mean, you remember they had Red Bryant, and, and Red Bryant was related to a yeah. C- and yeah. so my head went. Jacob. Yeah, it was Jacob Green, but I'm right. like, okay, Red Bryant, Jeff Bryant. It has Red to be. Red Bryant was one of my all-time favorite guys. Just on, pers- on, on the, the show, you mean? Just, or? just the sweetest guy, just the down-to-earth, nice, nice, nice man. I had him mm. on. I had him on when his Seahawks career came to an end. I just remember it being very a very moving interview. Maybe some of our listeners might. might re- I, I used to do a radio show in town. I don't know. Oh, yeah. You know, I don't I think I remember that. Heard that but. Chiefs 31, Niners uh, 20. So you missed it. I did, but I was you happy to miss it. Oh, weren't we all rooting for that? I mean, how many times did you ask people over the course of the week, well, who do you got? Who's going to win? I would ask people. I never, I never asked people who they were rooting for. I would say, who's going to win? And they would say, I hope the Kansas yeah. City Chiefs. Yeah. Everybody here was rooting for the Kansas City Chiefs. Of course. And it looked for the longest time that everybody here was going to be disappointed. It did. When it was 20 to 10, it felt bigger than 10. But like, I felt like the Chiefs were out of this. And, but they come back from 10 points down like nobody's business. Yeah. I mean, that's Patrick Mahomes' specialty. He doesn't even start playing <laughs> until he's 10, 10 points down. Right. And then a certain corner, I can't remember his name for the San Francisco 49ers, got burned on a long ball. God. And then lost kind of outside contain and got, got beat to the pylon on the touchdown. Yeah. What was his... I can't remember. Headband, 25. Was it Byron Maxwell? No, it wasn't no, Byron no. Max. Brandon Browner it was. Oh, yes, Brandon Browner. <laughs> yeah, it was the first time he looked old to me on a few plays. Not the whole game. I mean, no, he had some fine. great tackles. He but he looked old a couple times. But, but it, it was I a young want, man's game, that, that quarterback. I didn't want him winning the world championship. Seeing him celebrate would have just hurt. Just, yeah. And again, I'm nothing against him. It just would have hurt. In a Niner uniform, it just would have hurt. I know you have your own kind of. Ah, uh, yeah. Opinions on him. Yeah. Yeah, but it wasn't it didn't hurt me to see him get beat down the field <laughs> by Sammy Watkins. <laughs> you said you were you thought this was well, you were hoping it'd be a great game. Did you did it live up to it? Do you think it was a good game? Cuz to me I thought it was a great Super Bowl. I think there's I loved a big it. difference between a good game and a great game. I think it was a good game. I don't think it was a great game. I thought both teams played really conservatively. I expected that from San Francisco because of how good defensively they are and just the way they play. 
I felt like the Chiefs in the first half did not open up the playbook and did not open up the field. I would have expected them, Tyreek Hill, early and often, yep. throw the ball down the field, even if you don't complete it. You know, get get. I felt like the game was played really close to the vest in the first half. And the end result was it was 10-10, so you had competitive, you know, kind of interesting, but you didn't have the kind of game that I was expecting. And as it turned out, it was 31-20, so it was 51. It was an under. But had they opened it up a little bit in the first half, both teams, that game would have been the way I thought it was going to be, which was 37-30. I thought that game had the potential if both teams' offenses didn't play scared. And and it just, you know, for the first half, I didn't love the play calling in the first half. There was a lot of talk in the past few days about Russell Wilson should be – we should the Seahawks should be running the, the offense that Kansas City runs, right? Yeah. And so I'm watching this offense in the first half of Kansas City. I'm yeah. not really that impressed. Yeah. I, I kept waiting to see this magical offense that would open Russell Wilson up. But you're right. It was very conservative. It was, it was, it was really close to the vest on both sides. And, you know, look, I was rooting for the Chiefs. So this is going to sound like, oh, it's easy for Mitch to say. Of course he feels this way because he was rooting for the Chiefs. And he didn't want, he didn't want the 49ers or Shanahan to win. But I, the way Shanahan coached the end of the first half – you know how I feel about that. I knew it. I knew you were going to bring this up. Uh, he doesn't deserve to win. The 49ers don't deserve to win. The fact is th- there was absolutely no excuse for the way he coached the end of the first half. Well, I, I pulled a comment off the message board, and they tend to agree with you. Tend to agree with me. Anybody who disagrees has never seen a football game in their life. And all I'm talking about is after the third down play. So people might remember a couple of minutes to go. You know, San Francisco's got all three timeouts left. They're on defense. Kansas City's on offense. It's a 10-10 game, and they stop them on third down to force a punt. Yes. At that point, you you stop the clock if you're the <laughs> team that's getting the ball. Right. You don't let the punting team come out and wait for the clock to expire. There is no There is no good reason. There is zero reason why you would not use a timeout at that point. And he doesn't use a timeout. He lets the clock go all the way down. Then they punt it, and then he runs the ball twice before finally opening it up and trying to get a pass interference. Then he's bitching and moaning about the the shove off, which was a pass Fiddles, interference yeah. call. But my but my feeling was you can't complain. No, you've lost. You can't complain about it. even if it was the world's worst call, yeah. which it wasn't. It was the right call. You have no right to complain about anything that happens for the rest of the half because you. Coach scared, you're an offensive guy, and you didn't call a timeout? I mean, I don't even care about the running plays. You didn't call a timeout after we knew the Chiefs were going to be punting and they missed it on third. You didn't even try to save as much time. Now you have lost all right to bitch about anything for the rest of the half. Maybe the rest of the game and maybe for the rest of your career. That's the way I feel about it. The guy on uh, the, the message I pulled says, typical Shanahan fashion for F's sake. You should have called a timeout before half, you effing moron. I mean, that's a, that's a Niner fan. Yeah. And, and, and like, if I was the – I would have liked the official who he was bitching at when, when Kittle pushed – was it Kittle who yeah, pushed Kittle. off? Definitely Kittle's, pushed yeah. off. Twice, I would like, by the way. I, I, would li- I would like the official – to go up to him and go, buddy, call a timeout and then talk to me. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you made your bed, man. Hey, yeah. yeah. You didn't even want the ball. Right. I mean, you wanted to go to half. 
You didn't even want time on the clock. So what are you bitching and moaning about? Uh, about the play? It was a terrible coaching decision at the end of the half. I don't get it, but whatever. But he's an offensive genius, Shanahan. That's what I keep hearing. He's an offensive genius who did not win the Super Bowl. Thank God. Thank goodness. Did you enjoy a Brady-less Super Bowl? Wasn't that kind of nice, though? Feels like it's been a while. Yeah. <laughs> that was nice. It kind of hit me in the third quarter. Like, I haven't heard the word Brady or yeah, Belichick yet. No Edelman. Yeah. Yeah, it was nice, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. They yeah. were. On, he was on spots. He was on commercials. That's true. He was, yeah. You know, Tom Brady's always going to be somewhere. Yeah. Uh, they're saying now Oakland, but we'll get back to that in the in the other stuff segment. Anything else from the Super Bowl? Uh, Andy Reid, happy for Andy Reid. Does everybody know the story about Andy Reid? I know. I, I don't know if everybody knows. I, I know he's had some rough personal. Oh my God! You thing. wouldn't wish. Yeah. You wouldn't wish what he's had happen to his family on anybody. He lost a son, an overdose at training camp. I he's believe in the dorms, if I remember correctly. Yeah. One of the sons, and the other son was in real big trouble, and and was able to get himself clean and out of trouble. Now he's on the coaching staff, I believe. So, so he's great. A, he's going to ha- get a Super Bowl ring. The other son. Love it. But that that family has endured so much. And I have spoken to, as I think I said to you, I've spoken to Andy Reid maybe three or four times in my life. Super down to earth, modest, polite, generous. I mean, just a sweetheart of a guy. So you put it all together. Great coach who's never quite gotten over the hump with, a lot those, of good teams. with those Donovan McNabb yeah. years in Philadelphia. Yeah. Nice guy, super modest, super down to earth, personal problems, family tragedies. I mean, I, you cannot. It's, it's impossible not to root for that guy. I said on Twitter that I've never been happier for a coach I don't typically root for. Like, I don't have so any stake in So perfectly said, right. Thank you. Yeah, it's, yeah. And then the story that Peter King told about picking him up at 3 o'clock at the hotel that not everybody heard, I loved. I loved. He's, he's, he's out there early, first of all, and he's just sitting there waiting. And then he sees Peter, and he pulls up. And, I, mean, I, told, I told you I was in, like, Great Salt story. Lake City, Utah airport, like, 15 years ago, walking, trying to get to my gate, and there was this one big human being that was in front of me that was kind of blocking me like yeah. this guy is not only huge and he's, he's walking slow and I got to get going come on come on man get on my and it was him it was Andy Reid crazy big guy he was, yeah. he was like in a Hawaiian shirt <laughs> of course he was and he was in like shorts <laughs> the shirt over the sandals oh, the whole thing, yeah. taking his time he's a man who takes his time and he totally takes his time. My wife just, for whatever reason, looked up after the game. If and he, he and his wife have been together forty years, so she's it makes her happy to know that his wife has stuck by him and that they, they, they were able to keep it together. They've had some hard, hard, yeah, stuff. they've had some stuff yeah, go down, and yeah. she gets to reap the rewards of, of that for, night. Yeah. So yeah, that good was, for them, good for cool him, easy. And and who likes the 49ers? Of course, I mean, yeah. it, but I was reading the 49er message board because I'm I'm a troll and I'm an idiot. Yeah. But <laughs> what do you think the fan, the fans are blaming? What do you think the fans are blaming this game on? I mean, some of it is Shanahan play calling but what's the big over that the officials should have called delay of game no well you could have just stopped after the officials oh well everybody blames the official i thought you wanted something more specific this is like the delay of game that was on them that they didn't call (laughs) that's right right? yeah right the 49ers snapped the ball late they want the penalty they want the penalty because (laughs) frank clark ended up ending their ruining their night fourth and ten right how do we feel about frank clark love it i'm happy for him i have no ill will frank clark well checkered past tough 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 That's stuff right. in, in college. In college. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, they traded him. Are you happy for Frank Clark? Of course, yeah. Do you have a different feeling for Frank Clark than you have, say, for Richard Sherman? Does it, I, is it different? I, it is, and I, it probably isn't fair to be, but it is different, and I, yeah. it's just not fair. I don't know. Maybe Richard Sherman, he's just like this colossal know-it-all. I mean, it takes one to know one, I guess, but yeah. he created this plan. He's he had a maven all, on everything? He had all the incentives built in. He hit all the – you know, he just bet on himself, and he almost freaking won a Super Bowl with – yeah. The foe of his former team. I just couldn't see it. I couldn't see it. Frank Clark, I, I don't know. I'm happy for him. Good for him. 
But yeah, Niners making a lot of money. Got the last sack. Also forced, I think, in the even after that, there was a big um, a, a big pass pressure. Uh, commercials. Anything? Oh yeah, a lot of good ones. Commercials. Did you watch the the Google one? I think it was Google where the guy's talking to his wife, Loretta. Yeah. You know I me. Mean, yeah, I mean, that, that's that's see. <laughs> I was hoping you pulled it together before uh, I got here. I thought you'd still be crying by the uh, time I got here. It was sweet though. It was a very sweet, well done commercial. Well, there was one from New York Life about love, the different meanings of love, and the different words to express love. Did you see that? That was my favorite one of the night. Oh, really? I don't know if I remember that. Tell me about it. Well, they had different words to describe love. Love when you're a child. The love eros that you have for when you're you know when you're a teen or when yeah. you're a young adult and the that love one. that you have to help a partner out late in their life. And they show, yeah, it's just, it just, to me, you want, there were a couple of tear jerkers yeah. that got me. They always get me. All those, all those tear jerkers get me. How about Groundhog Day? I loved it. I love that they got the, the, the guy from the, from the movie who like the annoying Ned, guy, Ned, Ned, Ned Ryerson. <laughs> yeah. Now was that, did they get him? They did, but we looked or, it up. It's the same actor. Oh, I know that, but yeah. that, did they recreate it or was that like a clip from the movie that they somehow, because you never know, there's people nah. can do these. No, I read, re- I read that they went to the exact same city, nice. exact same street. I was hoping that, but yeah. I, I was, as I watched it, it looked so, I know. And Ned amazing. like, looked like he has an age. I mean, how could Ned feel, look the same way? So I thought computer generated, Maybe a little using, CGI they're, on they're, him, they're yeah. using the movie, they're using <laughs> yeah. the movie on it. Yeah. But I love that. I love that commercial. What other ones did you like? I, the Jason Momoa one I thought was awesome. Yeah. I don't know who that, the, the, the high schoolers had to tell me who that was. He's Aquaman. Yeah, I don't know. He was in uh, Game of Thrones. When they were taken off. He was taken off. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, he's this big muscle bound, like superhero looking guy. Yeah. But at home, it's all fake. He just pulls off the muscles. He doesn't really have all those because he's an actor. I thought it was really I funny. saw that one. I, I guess I didn't. A couple of them went over my head. I kind of like the ones that are much easier to understand for the simpletons out there. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Uh, my, I'll tell you my favorite moment in a moment, but I liked, um, I liked Ellen's What Do They Do Before Alexa? What did, oh, what yeah, did we yeah. do? What did we do? What did what, what did people do without Alexa before Alexa came along? I like that. Play the song on the little jug. Yeah. <laughs> that was I great. Like that. Yeah, that was great. I like the dance off instead of the shootout with Sam Elliott. Yeah, Sam Elliott was, was trending on good. Twitter. It was cool to see him. That was good. Yeah. I like the dance off and then the, the the horse that shakes his head like, no, I'm not interested in that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but my favorite thing, my favorite non-football thing of the evening, I think, was the way they brought the football in at the beginning of the game. Take it to the house. Oh, that was cool. Yeah, I mean, as a football now, fan. I'm a, I'm a, yeah, I'm a yeah. football fan. I'm a sports fan. I'm old enough to remember all of those guys yep. watching that. And I know they did something similar last year, like at a party where they had a whole bunch of – it was like a two – do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, there was, I remember. Yeah, there was a two-minute NFL spot that had a whole bunch of guys. I think this, this idea was hatched last year. Okay. And this is the second version of that. But to bring the football in, started with Syracuse's own Jim Brown. That's right. The way it should have started. <laughs> and then it went through it all. And we – I mean, yeah. How, Jimmy Garoppolo taking Joe Montana's bags and putting – it just pack the car, will you? Joe That's Montana, right. Just, I mean – I, I'll give him a tip. That, that, <laughs> I love that opening yeah. montage. And then it kind of segues into the boy coming out and taking the ball out to midfield. I, I thought that was awesome. All those Hall of I'm Famers that were like lining the tunnel. Yeah, you like that guy. But yeah. it was really cool. He looked like Odell Beckham Jr. with the, with the blonde yeah. hair. Yeah. It, that, that was such a great intro. Yeah. Did you happen to watch the Rocks intros? The no. Ro- okay. I didn't see, is that pregame? You're talking about pregame yes. intros? Yeah, I didn't see it. No. What, what does the Rock have to do with either of these? 
first of all, I'm happy for him that he got a paycheck finally. I mean, all the guys everywhere. I mean, fucking, <laughs> well, the he's Rock? the biggest star in the world, isn't he? <laughs> I and guess so. The so, NFL yeah. wants to associate themselves God. with the biggest star in the world. Is he the only actor capable of doing that? He's I mean, the biggest star God. in the world, and Roger Goodell only wants to be part yeah. of the biggest stars in the world. I, so the Chiefs are world champions and the 49ers uh, will have to wait another year. I've always said the Seahawks fans should be very lucky that those Harbaugh teams never won one. Yeah. And <laughs> the streak continues. You should be lucky because this is a pretty freaking good team the 49ers well, had. Well, you know what? They said that about the Rams last year. Yeah. And the Rams were not able to get to the postseason. They, they, there's, always a, there's always somebody that's pulling the Seahawks NFC West crown. There's always a new, new kid on the butt. Let's see. Let's see what the 49ers do to follow it up. I mean, the Rams, the Rams didn't even, as I said, didn't even make the playoffs. Yeah. And did not have a good year. And everybody thought Jared Goff was going to be God's gift to quarterbacks. They gave him this contract that's ridiculous. And look what he was. He was not, he was not even close to being a Pro Bowl quarterback. He was terrible. Yeah. For the most part, he was terrible. So let's see, is Jimmy Garoppolo the real deal? I mean, Russell Wilson is the real deal. I, I understand that defensively they're great, just like the Seahawks defensively were great. But at the end of the day, in the NFL in 2020, the quarterback is going to have to be the real deal yep. for the team to have staying power. It, do, it doesn't matter how good their defense is. It doesn't matter how good their running game is. It doesn't matter how good their coaching staff is. If they're going to have the staying power that the Seahawks have had in the NFC West and that some of the great teams over the last decade have had, you have to have the quarterback that's bankable. He's got to be big. That's right. And I, I think the jury, as great as the 49ers look, and maybe they'll be back, and it's easy. For, you know, this is what everybody says now. Oh, they, they lost a tough one to the Chiefs. They'll be back. I mean, the guy's on Fox immediately after the game. They'll be back probably next year, right. Terry Bunch, whatever. Maybe. <laughs> Dan Marino thought he was going to be back. That's right. He's I'm still, still waiting for, <laughs> I'm still waiting for Dan Marino to get back. Well, what did the Eagles do after they won it? I think they had kind of a rough year the next year, too. Well, they won it with Nick Foles, and they figured yeah. they'd be back. And it's just not easy to go back to back. It's Jimmy so Garoppolo has got to be the real deal for them to, to threaten to come back to the Super Bowl year after year. Yeah. If he's not, then they're not coming back. I was it's really that simple. I was ready to anoint him. I set him up. This, this is going to be was his ready. game. He was going to make you look like a superstar. <laughs> That's right. And then he blew it. <laughs> he blew it. He blew it. I was ready for him. All right, before we get to the four, we got the four interviews. The first one will be with the pilot talking about what he thinks happened last Sunday. And then we'll come back to our other stuff segment, which I'm looking forward to because we, we both have a number of different little topics. Yep. Uh, a week later on the Kobe Bryant thing, did you see the LeBron James speech heavy on yeah, Friday night? It was heavy. It was really good. It was really good. Yeah. Really impressive that he was able to do that from the heart, don't yep. you think? Yep. They yeah. lost big. It, yeah. it was a hard. That was a hard game. That was yeah. one of the Damian Lillard, uh, the Damian oh. Lillard games. I yeah. mean, he went like for fifty or sixty points. That was a really bizarre game. A really difficult yeah. game for them to. It's been a weird week. Just you know, people taking the twenty-four second violations. You know, just it's just been an odd week for for the NBA. Yeah. yeah. But the Lakers did a great job of of paying tribute and. Everyone got the shirt, some eight, some 24. You know, it was a really cool night. What do you think about, now they're changing the whole all-star thing and whatever because nobody really cares about the all-star game. Yeah. So they're going to put one team in 24s, his 24s. I think the other team's going to work two, which is his daughter's number oh, okay. in, in select basketball, which is really sweet. They're changing the rules of it. We can go into that maybe later. But there's been some talk, and I know this is kind of, again, sensitive, and I, and I tread on thin ice with all of this stuff. And as, you, as you can tell, I'm sensitive about it. Uh, about the logo, 
the 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 NBA logo, the Jerry, Jerry West, West yeah. NBA logo. There's this now movement beneath the surface that we need to change it and make it Kobe Bryant. What do you think about that? I think Kobe wouldn't like it. Honestly, I, I, I went back and watched. You remember there was like a documentary about him like called Kobe's Muse? It was on like Showtime. Yeah, I kind of remember that. I completely that. I forgot that that, I that was a thing. I don't even know that I saw it. And I, I've been watching it and kind of get a feel for who yeah. he was. And yeah. he is an NBA historian. Junkie. He yeah. loves it. Yeah. I mean, he re- knows all the old cats. He, I don't think Kobe would like it. And I, I, personally, it feels almost like we're kind of overcompensating a little bit now. Right? I mean, were we gonna, was he going to be the logo if he was alive? Or is it only because he's gone, you know? I would be okay if they wanted to change maybe the – now, so what are you saying? Don't change the logo I don't, at all. I wouldn't L- change Look, at, at the end – Because at, of this, at, I wouldn't. Well, at the end of the day, anybody who's old enough to remember, even if you're not, knows that if you are ever going to change the logo, which you may or may not do – Great point. There's, there, there's the one – I mean, The jump man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, come on. There's just and that and Kobe would say a hundred times out of a hundred, yeah. If you're ever going <laughs> right. to change the logo, it's right. going to be twenty three. That's exactly right. He wouldn't want that. So, it, so my thought is, what if you change the logo for the next year? Yeah, there you go. What if you celebrate it? If they really want to change the logo, you change the logo maybe from now until the anniversary of the death. Of the of the track, I don't know. Some, I like it. Yeah. Some finite period of time where we paid homage to this fallen superstar. We put him on the logo, however that, whatever shot that is, and but it's known at the beginning that this is for a temporary period to pay honor to the man's memory. Because again, either we're keeping it as it is, and with all due respect to LeBron James, we're either keeping it as it is with Jerry West, which is a, a an unbelievable kind of staple of, yeah. of modern day sports. Jerry West, or we're changing it into Michael Jordan. There is no in-between. Yeah. Kobe was never on the table. No. And he shouldn't be now. No. Yeah. I hope that's not disrespectful. I don't think it is. I mean, what do you you like the year? You like the, that little hokey? You like the year? Like maybe. I like the year. I think it's a good idea. If if during the playoffs, when you're watching the NBA playoffs on TNT. I don't know. I like it. I think it's great. It's a great idea. Just do it for a year pay homage and again I've, I feel like I've gotten to know Kobe a bit after watching this documentary right. I, I, he would, I think he'd be like no if anything it's Michael he would totally want well, Michael over him he like, imitated Michael <laughs> his whole life well you told me that and I'm watching this and I'm telling those you those early interviews he's like Danny Gans and doing a Michael Jordan impression Danny like, Gans may he rest in peace <laughs> he sounds Danny just like G- him well I, I'm telling you he Im- I believe he imitated everything that Michael Jordan did not just his game he Im- imitated his game obviously emulated his game and, yeah. and a lot of his shots are I'm telling you he watched how Michael Jordan walked down the court I'm telling you he watched how Michael Jordan did post-game interviews I'm telling you he he watched how Michael Jordan dressed I'm telling you he watched how he did press cut. The way he stuck his tongue. I mean, his manner. He he did a full-on Danny Gans imitation of Michael Jordan for his entire career. Now, I got to tell you, at the beginning, and I said this to Eldred Rakasner, at the beginning of Kobe's career when he was young, I didn't like it. I thought it was so painfully obvious. And I was like, who is, I mean, yeah, I know he's supposed to be a great player yeah. someday, but who is this kid who just, be yourself. Right. What do you, you're trying to emulate, you're, you're trying to literally do an imitation? You're doing like Rich Little impersonations? Yeah. It's risky too, because I mean, remember Baby Jordan, Harold Minor? Yeah. <laughs> How did that work out, right? I mean, <laughs> you, you start anointing yourself the next Jordan. Well, be I don't know that he ever anointed himself. I'm no, just but saying, it, you know. but it, to me, it was <laughs> obvious that he was like going out of his way yeah. to just walk and talk. Like I was like, dude. 
You're 19 years old or 18 to, to be your own. Be you. But, but as he became great, I didn't mind it so much because now he kind of backed it up with his performance. But yeah, from the beginning, I thought he always was imperson. It was an impersonation. Yeah. And that was a great, what do they say? Uh, imitation is the most greatest insular- form of flattery. Yeah. That's right. And that's what he was doing. Uh, to be fair to Kobe, uh, Michael Jordan had all of us sticking our tongues out when we played. I mean, we were all trying to, right. to you know, uh, right. yeah. imitate him. Right. But Kobe says in the documentary he had a relic because he was stuck in Italy. You know, his dad was still trying Jelly to Jellybean, yeah. That's right. He had a relative that was sending him videotapes of games. So that's how he got to watch his. So he'd watch these games over and over because they were all on cassette. So he probably just sat there with no one to watch, Italian TV, you know, and he's just watching these games over and over. So he, he probably did rub off on him. He probably did try to be Michael Jordan. Okay, so the first of our four interviews for this episode 77, the next thing you're going to hear is the pilot. He's, uh, he's headquartered in Cincinnati, FAA pilot, helicopter pilot, and an FAA examiner. And he's going to take what we all know, what we all read. He's not closer to it than anybody else except he has the knowledge, and he's going to try to piece together what he thinks happened up there and was it avoidable was it not avoidable what this means to the helicopter industry and is it safe to go up to helicopters is it safe for these guys like Kawhi Leonard to be using helicopter yeah. service as their may as their as their car is that safe he's got a lot of observations after being a pilot for all these years now if that's going to offend anybody and going to make you feel bad feel free to skip it just skip it fast forward right to the next segment Feel free to do that. You're not, you're not going to hurt my feelings. In fact, I'm probably not going to know. <laughs> probably. It's, you know, 50% chance. Right. But I always wanted to know if they're safe. I'm curious to hear what he says as a pilot because my wife's made it very clear. Don't ever. This was before Kobe. Please never surprise me with a helicopter visit, uh, ride. I'm no never why. going. Hmm. And that was before the Kobe. She's told me that we go to Hawaii. Reminds me. No helicopter. I just, they scare me. So I would love to hear what this guy says. Four guests and then the other stuff segment. Hotshot, you know by now that Evergreen Govcall is a premier wealth manager in the Northwest because you listen to Mitch Unfiltered. Tyler Hay leads teams headquartered here in Bellevue, south to Portland, with offices also in San Francisco and the Napa Valley. Growing money in a responsible manner for decades, Evergreen Govcall. Now, Adam Hay, Tyler's brother, has introduced evervestment.com which is an online vehicle for people like you and me to get the same expertise as evergreen's high wealth clients evergreen golf call deeply cares about its northwest roots whether it's the boys and girls club or this podcast mitch unfiltered a charitable pillar in the community and a major reason why we continue to produce new episodes of mitch unfiltered every single week they're the title sponsor of our march madness pool and our major championship challenge for all expense paid trips doled out in 2019 to our listeners by Evergreen Golf Call, including that bucket list golfing trip to Pebble Beach. Check out evervestment.com and see what Evergreen could do for you. Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest. Unfiltered. We're now hearing the dramatic 911 calls from the crash that killed Kobe Bryant, his daughter Gigi, and seven others. LA County Fire Department. Uh, helicopter crashed into a mountain. We just heard a boom and a dead sound, and then I could see the flames. And today we're learning that the company that operated the helicopter in the doomed flight was not certified to fly passengers in poor visibility, which would require pilots to rely on instruments for navigation. Kobe's helicopter was flying in heavy fog when it crashed into a mountain. Island Express, the company that owned the chopper, has now grounded all their aircraft. 
As we make our way through this episode 77, so many of us are still grappling with the helicopter tragedy last weekend that ended the lives of Kobe Bryant, his daughter, other 13-year-old girls, their parents, coaches, and of course the pilot. And I'm not sure that knowing what happened in the air that Sunday morning will help any of us deal with this. But joining me on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline is Matt Johnson. Matt is an FAA helicopter pilot and examiner based in Cincinnati, Ohio. Matt, thanks for joining uh, me. Sorry for the circumstances. Yeah, absolutely. Let's begin with what we know, the Sikorsky S-76, the aircraft. What do you know about it, Matt? Well, uh, candidly, I don't have any personal experience with the S-76. I've uh, you know, flown 20-plus different makes and models. Unfortunately, nothing. It's not a model I've ever flown personally, but uh, it has a great tra- track record. Uh, Sikorsky's known for uh, you know building a great aircraft. They produce a, a lot of great aircraft for our armed forces. And the S-76 in particular has uh, you know, been known for quite some time. It's, memory serves me correctly it's it's been around since the late 70s early 80s mm-hmm. uh, as i recall and it's um it's very well known in the corporate world the vip world um i think a lot of people uh, became familiar with the s76 uh, during the early uh, phases of the donald trump campaign because that was his personal helicopter uh, that he used uh, flying around the new york area mm. Based on what we've been able to piece together so far, what you've been able to piece together so far as a pilot, in layman's terms, Matt, what happened? Well, uh, you know, look, here's the deal. Uh, Any and all of this is conjecture, and, you know, this is is one of those things where, uh, you know, we have to have faith in the NTSB, and I I think they will do a phenomenal job. I think they'll leave, uh, you know, as they say, no stone left unturned. And, and I think they will find out exactly, you know, what happened. Uh, you know, was this mechanical related? Who knows? Does your common sense, does your gut tell you that? No, not at all. I mean, looking at the weather and, and the circumstances, uh, you know, uh, it's it's tough. And again, it's all conjecture and it's just it's just a surface analysis. Um, but, you know, weather wasn't uh, exactly that good that morning. Generally speaking, something like an S-76 uh, has the capability to to fly in instrument meteorological conditions when they're on an actual IFR flight plan, and you know that uh, from what we gather from you know preliminary reports and and uh, initial media reports, that obviously wasn't the case. I mean, most people have listened to the ATC recordings, and uh, anyone with a, a decent amount of experience can kind of you know glean what was going on there and you know visibility was not that great the cloud ceilings was you know certainly not that great so you know this is one of those uh, Mitch this is one of those crashes that it's it's obviously unfortunate it's it's sad it's going to be studied for years to come um, most likely from a human factors point of view and sadly at the end of the day um, it's just going to be a rehash of uh, a lot of things that we've known for years, a, a lot of things that we shouldn't do. Uh, like, and again, it's, it's like what? Well, you're flying in those conditions, flying so low, scud running, you know, duck under syndrome. What types of human factors, what types of pressures did this pilot experience, if any? 
Uh, I mean, let's face it, uh, from what I have read, I mean, this, you know, this gentleman had a great amount of experience. He's flying a twin engine, uh, generally, you know, advanced aircraft from the point of view of having stability augmentation systems and autopilots. I don't know what was in that aircraft, but generally speaking, an aircraft of that magnitude should be perfectly capable of flying uh, on an IFR flight plan in instrument meteorological conditions. It happens, you know, nearly daily in this country in aircraft with, with those capabilities. But instead, here you had an aircraft that, you know, for reasons that we none of us certainly know at this time, uh, is that it was flying extremely low, uh, which is not uncommon for a helicopter, but uh, extremely low because there was a cloud deck above him. And visibility, I think I read, you know, some of the visibilities were between one and two miles. And, yeah, there's been a lot of, you know, debate and discussion. And, well, technically he was legal. Well, yeah, technically he was legal with the special VFR clearance. But understand this, Mitch, look at it this way. When, you know, the, the, the speed limit is 65 or 70, Sure, that's fine. But what if it's snowing heavily out? <laughs> you know, does it does it still make sense to drive 65 or 70 when it's icing or heavy snow on the roadway? No, I mean at some at some point in the juncture here, you have to apply the the common sense factor. And I just think that you know this is uh, this is a repeat. Uh, you know, barring any uh, discovery of any you know um, catastrophic. Uh, mechanical type failures, I think at the end of the day or in, you know, 12 to 18 months or however long it takes the, the professionals at the NTSB to do their job. And I, like I said, I think they'll do a great job and they'll get to the bottom of it. I think you're going to find that it was like most of these situations, totally avoidable. What totally you, avoidable. When you say the words duck under, I think you may, you may have said duck under syndrome. What does that mean, Matt? You know, it's, it's scud running, you know, think of scud as just low ceilings. Mm-hmm. You know, you look up in the sky and you don't see the sun, you don't see any blue, you just see scud, you see low hanging clouds and you're, you're avoiding going in those clouds. And that's, you know, that's one of the things that, uh, you know, a lot of folks outside of our industry, they don't, they don't understand, you know, we, we either fly VFR and visual flight rules, uh, or under visual flight rules or IFR under instrument flight rules. And that's what they are is each of those are a set of rules. And when you talk about IMC, which it appears this gentleman flew into IMC conditions, that means instrument meteorological conditions where his, his site is taken away. Basically he's having to, rely on any and all instrumentation in that aircraft and utilize any sorts of uh, stability augmentation system that may be part of the aircraft and, you know, autopilot systems, et cetera. And again, I can't speak for what was in that aircraft. I, you know, I I have no idea. Um, But generally speaking, something of of the magnitude of an S-76 is is certainly capable uh, of having those types of uh, you know, instrumentation and, and systems in there. And, and unfortunately you talk about duck under syndrome and scud running. It's, uh, it's, it's really a human performance issue. And I say human performance, it's, it, it's really a human failure issue. It's, yeah. it's continuing to descend lower and lower. Yeah. And a lot of times when the visibility decreases to such a, a low number like that, uh, you know, pilots uh, instinctively, 
slow down so that they can grasp more and see more as they're flying. And and in a helicopter or, for that matter, an airplane, getting slow in those type of conditions is is really the last thing you want to do. He was not going slow, right? According to the reports, it was it was yeah it was a pretty a, a pretty healthy speed he was going at that time, yeah. right? Yeah, and, and and generally speaking, from you know what I've I've looked at, you know that's a that's a relatively uh, fast aircraft, uh, probably one of the many reasons it's used for you know VIP and, and corporate level travel is that it you know for a helicopter it can get you from point A to B relatively you know fast. So and and looking at the last minute of uh, radar data that I just glanced over. Uh, yeah, I mean, it looks like the speed was up there up until the point where, you know, it looks like there was a turn made, uh, whether, you know, we'll never know whether he was trying to get back to an airport or he he was in solid instrument meteorological conditions and he saw, a, a, you know, a spot on the ground he was trying to get to. Again, I don't know. And we'll probably never know that that part of the situation. Matt, Matt, Matt Johnson, good enough to be with us, an FAA pilot and examiner. Matt, this IFR that you keep referring to, for those of us that just don't understand, instrument flight rules, the ability to to fly in bad weather, essentially. um, I'm I'm hearing that the company that leased this aircraft out did not have licensing to fly why in the world would that even be allowed i mean again i'm asking questions from people that just for people that just don't understand why would a what a helicopter leasing company be allowed to not have such a license yeah you know i mean Mesh, that's that's one of many million dollar questions there i'm not even familiar with the company i couldn't even cite their name right now I, you know i've read it in some articles here and there but i i'm not familiar with them uh, I certainly don't want to say anything bad, but when these companies apply for their their air charter certification, their FAA 135 certification, and they work, you know, with the FAA on that, they're going to have certain limitations, and they're going to have aspects of what they are and are not allowed to do, and that's generally speaking going to be something that the the uh, air carrier you know uh, wants to do now. Uh, understand I'm here in the Midwest. We share a lot of the, the weather and the rain and the snow that, you know, you, you folks get up there in your area. But I can't speak for the, the SoCal area and the, and the L.A. basin there. I've, I've been out there a few times. I've flown helicopters out of there a couple times on ferry trips over the last 15 or 20 years. But to, to know weather out that area, I can't speak for that. So I don't know if they didn't choose to have that added to their uh, their specs or their authorization because it's just not something they would yeah. use that often. Yeah, I don't know. There was, uh, it could be a cost issue. It could be that more equipment would have to be added to the aircraft. It would require, obviously, not only initial training for the pilots, but more of a continual uh, proficiency-based training program. Matt, there was an NBC uh, news report that the aircraft did not have something called TAWS, T-A-W-S, mm-hmm. Terrain Awareness and Warning System. Uh, I know it's speculative, yeah. but could that have helped? You know, I, I'm going to go out here and I'm going to say something that I, I'm sure a lot of my you know, colleagues and, and, and close friends, we would just have to agree to disagree on. When you're flying an aircraft that low and you're knowingly flying in low visibility and you have ceilings that low, uh, you, you know, my, my my shooting from the hip here, Mitch, is this. 
what the hell good would it do? It's it's going to be going off all the time, either saying obstacle or terrain, because you're so low. I see. I see. You know, you're not, you know, a system like that is designed for when you're going to be at a higher altitude, okay, much higher than where this aircraft was portrayed on radar. And then when you are landing, you're going to get a notification if you're close to a mountain or an obstacle. Yeah. Pause and H pause. It's, it's been a game changer. It was one of the things the NTSB recommended years ago, as I recall. And it's, it's wonderful to have. Uh, you know, it's in the aircraft that I fly on a near daily basis, uh, you know, working my day job as an air medical pilot. And we're extremely fortunate and blessed to have all those gadgets. But there comes a time when you have to know how to use the technology. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's nothing that's going to uh, improve a bad decision that's already been made. Mm. Local officials had grounded their fleet that morning. Local police officials, Matt. Does that tell you anything about whether there was a mistake going up in the first place? Because there's a lot of us that wonder, is the bigger mistake going up in the first place or not turning around and just, you know, throwing your hands up and saying, weather's too bad. We're not, we're not going to, we're going to err on the side of caution here. Yeah. You know, Mitch, wonderful question. And I said early in this interview, this, this is one of those crashes and one of those cases that will be studied for years and it will be a part of every human factors and human performance and flight physiology uh, course from here until the end of time. It really will. There were so many things going on there. We don't know if there was any pressure experienced by this pilot. I mean, but let's, let's just step back and, and, and think about if Matt Johnson or, you know, Mitch were the pilot that day and you've got, not only a what a four or five time all star in the back and his daughter, but you have you know seven or eight other human beings. Okay, uh, there's a lot of pressure there, and as pilots, we're taught to to mitigate those pressures, to overcome those pressures, to not have things like get there itis, meaning no matter what, we got to get there. You know, we don't know the level of pressure that this pilot experienced, if any, and it may have only been self-internal pressure, which is a big issue for pilots. And we, we have to train ourselves and, and look after our colleagues and, and, and have the, you know, the tenacity and the, the intestinal fortitude to step up sometimes and say, Hey, you know, this is not a good idea. And to answer your question, I mean, yeah, I mean, if, if the local law enforcement, if they weren't flying now, they're going to be flying under Part 91 rules, which is generally less stringent than Part 135 rules. But if they're not flying, yeah, there's, you know, let's be candid. There's a damn good reason they're not flying. Yeah. Do athletes like there, there's another basketball player in L.A., Matt, named Kawhi Leonard, who said, I fly with this company all the time. I fl- flew with this pilot all the time. Do guys like that, VIPs that have chosen helicopter as a, as a form of transportation, have to rethink this re- repetitive helicopter transportation, or is it as safe as driving? Well, I mean, we could certainly have a, an hour episode, which we're not going to, on statistics. When you hear all these great statistics about, you know, it is safer than driving, generally speaking, Mitch, they're talking about airliners. They're talking about the 121 world, okay, the FA uh, and the Federal Aviation Regulations under Part 121. Very few people that fly, like yourself, I'm sure, on a regular basis, we and myself, you know, I have no reservations. Uh, You know, I put my young 
infant and toddler over the years on an airplane with me. I've had no reservations whatsoever because, candidly, it's just it's regulated to hell and back. But the Part 121 world is so tightly regulated uh, that it, it has become ridiculously safe in the United States. These aircraft in the United States, I can't speak for, you know, the other nations, but uh, it, it's just that safe. When you get into Part 91 operations and Part 135, where uh, the regulations may not be as strict, the uh, safety record may not be as great as what we have come to expect in the 135 world. And I'm certainly one that, again, may be uh, alone, but certainly unafraid in saying that some of these rules need reexamined. You know, minimum flight visibility and sealing requirements. You know, those things, it's time to really reexamine those. And you can only hope that, I mean, if anything whatsoever good comes out of this, this horrible tragedy, is that, that we have some national spotlight on some of these regulations and how how some of these operations are yeah. are operating their aircraft yeah it's a shame that it takes this isn't it yeah absolutely i mean it's it's uh, uh it's just horrible it's yeah. it's horrible matt johnson in cincinnati matt thank you so much for being on mitch unfiltered we really appreciate it next time it'll be under better circumstances yeah okay mitch take care of yourself good talking to you matt johnson a licensed FAA helicopter pilot and examiner for many years in the Cincinnati area, offering his thoughts, albeit conjecture on some level, as to what happened last Sunday morning when nine people tragically lost their lives in Southern California, including Hall of Famer-to-be Kobe Bryant. Yes, the football season is over, but that doesn't mean there aren't great opportunities on the way to watch sports and enjoy great Zeke's Pizza. Whether at home with delivery straight from Zeke's, not a third-party service, or in one of their 17 fantastic locations, college hoops, the NBA, everything's better with some signature Northwest pizza and a craft beer or two. And you'll be supporting one of the driving forces behind this podcast. And that's important, by the way. Dan Black and the boys have been great to me from back in the radio days to present. In fact... I'll never forget something Dan said to me in 2017, sitting in a window booth at lunch at the Bellevue location. He said, Mitch, we at Zeke's as a company believe in giving opportunities to those going through rough patches. So why wouldn't we be thrilled to be by your side in this venture? It's easy to root for companies like that. So the next time you're ready for some great pizza, make it Zeke's. Download their app or visit Zeke'sPizza.com. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. For as long as we can play the game of basketball that we love, because that's what Kobe Bryant will want. So in the words of Kobe Bryant, Mamba out. But in the words of us, not forgotten. Live on, brother. Lots happening in the world of the NBA. Obviously, you've got Zion coming back after all those many months off. You've got the loss of Kobe Bryant a week ago in one of the most tragic Sundays all of us will ever remember. And then there's the Damian Lillard story. I don't know who's paying attention, especially in the Pacific Northwest. Damian Lillard in Portland is having a six-game, is in the midst of a six-game stretch that is just unheard of in the history of the NBA. Our buddy Kevin Pelton, he does it great Local Northwest guy, ESPN, ESPN.com, NBA writer. Kevin's with us first time this year, so a belated Happy New Year, Kevin. Um, let's start with Kobe. 
where you were on on Sunday when you found out the news and how you felt the last week as we've all mourned the loss of this NBA star and all those people on that helicopter, including three 13-year-old girls. Tell me how you felt the last week. Yeah, I mean, I think it's been a tough week for everyone who covers, certainly, and even just follows the NBA, and, and no exception here. I was actually recording a podcast leading up to the trade deadline, and a group of us you know, kind of uh, went through the emotions together, even though we didn't record that, uh, you know, as we were, you know, taking a break from, from doing that podcast and, you know, like uh, everyone else, kind of following along on Twitter and, and uh, you know, seeing the story develop and, and the tragedy of finding out that it wasn't just him on board, but nine people, including, as you mentioned, the, the three three the three uh, children who were players on the team, so in, including his own daughter. So, yeah, really just a, a horrible time. But, uh, you know, I think it, it has shown the, the reaction that we've seen over the past week, just what Kobe Bryant meant to so many people. I don't know that I really grasped that, and you're much younger than I am, so maybe you can help me with this. I always thought of, and I don't mean any disrespect to this, I always thought of Kobe Bryant as a great as a great player, an all-star, one of the best players of his time. And maybe it's because I don't differentiate the Kobe era from the Jordan era because I'm old enough to remember both of them. So I kind of I kind of lopped them together. And for me, nobody was ever as good in Jordan. And then I'm I'm reminded that well, you know, the Jordan era and the Kobe era overlapped a little bit, but really it's two different. And there's there's a group of NBA and basketball fans who don't remember. Michael in his prime, but do remember Kobe. So uh, maybe, I don't know. I don't know what my question is. Give us a sense of his <laughs> place. Give me a sense of his place in history. Kobe Bryant's place in NBA history. Is he one of the top five, six all-time greatest players, or is he one of the top ten or fifteen all-time greatest players? I think more in that 10 to 15 range when you consider the fact that he only won one MVP during the regular season, but definitely seemed, you know, relative to that and, and obviously had much more success in the playoffs, the five championships, the finals MVPs. Uh, you know, I, What's interesting is I do think that the Jordan and Kobe eras were distinct. As you mentioned, they overlapped a little, but it was you know Kobe's first two years in the league when Jordan was in Chicago and then Jordan's Washington years when he wasn't the same kind of player. And uh, but what's fascinating is that the, the Kobe era overlaps so much with LeBron's reign as the best player in the NBA. But it, it feels like, and it felt like this even, I think, before the past week, that Kobe had a greater influence on the next generation of players in many ways than even LeBron did, you know, just uh, in terms of being a stylistic template. Maybe it was easier for players to envision them playing themselves playing like Kobe than like LeBron James, who's so unique athletically. Uh, and then I think also just the way that he stayed connected to the game after his retirement. I think you can, you know, look at kind of two different periods uh, leading up to his retirement, a very polarizing figure, you know, a rival of, of players throughout the league. There was the, the, the great commercial that I saw come back last, last week uh, during that last season where he's conducting the fans all booing and heckling him fans of other teams and, you know, kind of taking delight in it. But once he announced his retirement, became this beloved figure by everyone and remained connected to basketball, not only the NBA, but also women's basketball with his daughter coming up and, you know, his support of the WNBA and played an important mentorship role for a lot of young players. And I think we're seeing the impact of that. Uh, again, with the response in the past week. Kevin, what do you think of what they've done, the NBA has done to remember and honor him and what they plan to do? I know there's some 
some things that are going to happen at the All-Star weekend, like uh, one team's going to wear the daughter's number uh, from her select team. Another, the other group's going to wear Kobe's number. I think there's going to be some, some crazy scorekeeping. I don't know exactly what they're going to do with that. There's been talk about logo changes. Uh, Hotshot and I talked a lot about that in this episode. I'm not for that. I don't mean any disrespect. I mean, uh, what I said to Hotshot is if you want to change it maybe for a year and announce, hey, we're going to change the logo to remember Kobe Bryant for the next year, I would have no trouble with that. But in terms of permanently replacing Jerry West with anybody other than the than the figure of Michael Jordan, to me, would be a mistake. Uh, kind of take the ball and run with it. What they've done in the NBA, what they plan to do, and your thoughts on the logo. Well, I think let's start with what the Lakers did last Friday in that game against Portland. And it was really an emotional night, uh, understandably, at the Staples Center after the postponement of the Lakers-Clippers game that was scheduled for Tuesday, their first game, the first game uh, at Staples Center you know, since, since his passing. And LeBron James in particular really stepped up to the moment, delivered an incredible speech before the game that I think captured how a lot of the players on both teams and throughout the league felt about Kobe. And, you know, it was really fascinating because there's not a lot of players who can you know take the same perspective of being that kind of superstar player and you know LeBron James could do that and really was able to you know I think empathize with you know Kobe and, and understand his, his perspective uh, but clearly not the last that we're going to see in terms of the tributes I think all-star weekend in a couple weeks here is really going to be you know dominated by memories of Kobe by talk of him and uh, you know you as you mentioned what what's the league themselves are doing, you know, I think uh, I've got to imagine that the, the format of the game was probably already in the works in terms of having an ending where it's not based on time in the fourth quarter, but score, which is something we've seen in uh, the basketball tournament that people watch that over the summer right, on ESPN right. or, you know, the broadcast that I think it's a, an interesting idea, but uh, then tying it to Kobe by making it 24 points, you know, is the target score beyond whatever the leading team has after three quarters. Uh, but yeah, I think it's going to be a very emotional weekend for a lot of people and it's going to continue for a while. Uh, I, I'm with you. You know, I know our, our, our guy, Jamal, Crawford feels differently on the logo. I, I like the fact that even though we all know it's Jerry West officially, it's it's not any one specific player right now, and I think that's kind of appropriate because to me the logo, you know, it should represent everyone in the league, not one specific individual. Uh, if there's one tribute I'd like to see to Kobe, I, I can't remember who to credit this to on Twitter that I saw it over the past week, but you know, if they named the uh, All Star MVP after Kobe, I think that yeah. would be really appropriate given he won that award several times in his career, and as they point pointed out, you know, that award represents the best of the best in the all-star game. And that's what, you know, I think Kobe was seen as. Yeah. Still so hard to believe what happened on that Sunday. We'll all remember where we were when uh, we heard the news, the very troubling and tragic news. And it's going to stay with us, I think, probably for the rest of all of our lives, all of our memories, especially sports fans. Kevin Pelton, ESPN, ESPN.com, NBA writer. Okay, segue to something a little more uplifting. The Damian Lillard story. Start with how historic that six-game stretch is. I know that when people actually hear this interview, he may play a seventh game. But in the meantime, it's something like 49 points and 10 assists a game over a six-game stretch. You're going to tell us that nobody's ever done that, right, Kevin? <laughs> yes. 
in fact, that is the case. Uh, Elias Sports Bureau came up with this on Saturday night, and uh, I, I was down at that game, the uh, sixth game in this stretch against the Utah Jazz, and wrote about it afterwards for uh, ESPN.com. The only player in NBA history to average at least 45 points in 10 assists over a six-game span. Wow. Tied for the third most points over a six-game span. There was a couple of overlapping James Harden stretches last season where he scored more points in a six-game span, but very fittingly, the 293 points that Lillard has scored over the span tied with Kobe Bryant. So, you know, that's that's the kind of company that we're talking about in terms of this stretch. Tell me a little bit about Damian Lillard's reputation in the NBA. It, it seems like even in every sport, every era has these guys that are kind of superstar talents but don't get the recognition that they deserve for one reason or another. Maybe it's just because of all the great guards that have played during Damian Lillard's tenure in Portland. But Or maybe you'll tell me because it's all the way up here. He's tucked up with all of us. It's the reason why nobody knows who Kevin and Mitch are, because nobody knows who Damian is. Because Damian is, is, Dame is up here in the Pacific Northwest. What Has he gotten his due over the years? And if not, why? I think he mostly has. I mean, we've seen him make All-NBA first team, I think, at one point here within the last couple of seasons and, you know, be a, a candidate at the end of the MVP ballot. And I think that's, you know, kind of commensurate with the level of play he's reached over that span. You know, I think the one thing that, you know, definitely you're, you're going to be overlooked a little bit more in Portland than if he was doing the same thing in L.A. or, or the Bay or, or New York or, or someplace like that. But, you know, the other thing that's been missing is the, the deep playoff run in terms of they did get to the conference finals last year but got swept by the Warriors and you know this this really represents a new level of play from Damian Lillard and it's been necessary because this Blazers team this season coming off that conference finals run has been hit hard by injuries uh, three of the guys that would be starters if they were completely healthy and Rodney Hood, Zach Collins, and Yusuf Nurkic have missed extended period of time, periods of time here. When the streak started, C.J. McCollum, his, uh, his backcourt mate and their second leading scorer, was also out of the lineup. So this was a Portland team that was missing four of you know, hypothetically, their five best players coming into the season. And I think that really put them in a situation where Lillard needed to step to this incredible other level. And uh, he's been able to deliver and then some over these last six games. All right. So the last time you and I visited before you go, the last time you and I visited, I believe, was after Kawhi Leonard signed a contract or agreed to a contract with the Clippers. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe maybe one time. And I know that I asked you to tell me about the hierarchy in the Western Conference. And I tried to convince you that it felt like a LeBron James-Anthony Davis combo is even better than a Kawhi Leonard-Paul George combo. And your response, I believe at the point was, but look at what else the Clippers are surrounding those two guys with and look at what the Lakers are surrounding those two guys with. Now, we've played how many games? 50? I don't know, 55 games? I'm not looking at it. Uh, Where does Kevin Pelton stand now? I'm giving you a second opportunity to go back and erase everything you told me before and tell me about the Western Conference in particular. I don't really care about the Eastern Conference. Tell me about the Western Conference. Tell me who the top four teams in order most likely to win the West to the fourth most likely to win the West and why. 
So I still think that there's a pretty clear line of demarcation between those L.A. teams and whoever you put third and fourth in the West, which is maybe a little bit more difficult choice because there are three or four teams in contention for those spots. You know, the Lakers' regular season has gone much better than I expected. Uh, I kind of figured that they would not necessarily be trying to accumulate wins during the regular season, much as we have seen with the Clippers, with Kawhi Leonard, you know, the injury management, Paul George missing a period of time. The Lakers haven't necessarily had those kind of bumps in the road for the most part. You know, LeBron has played all but, I believe, one game so far this season. Anthony Davis has missed a couple shorter stretches, but they've largely been healthy and have been cruising so far and look headed to the number one seed. But, you know, the, the Clippers have had a bumpier regular season. The other thing that we've seen is, in addition to the injuries and absences, there's been kind of the challenge of, you know, they had this really fun season last year where they unexpectedly made the playoffs, gave the Warriors a bit of a scare in the first round, taking a couple games off them. And it was led by this group of players, Lou Williams, Montrez Harrell, Patrick Beverly, who are still there. And, you know, they're kind of wondering, okay, why aren't we, you know, necessarily playing the same roles? Why aren't we having the same freedom that we had last year? Why aren't we having the same kind of fun? Because now there's these, this different level of expectations. There's Kawhi and Paul George being in and out of the lineup. And I think that's been a challenge for Doc Rivers this, this year during the regular season. But still, you look at the two times these two teams have played head-to-head. The Clippers have gotten the better of those two matchups. Kawhi has been dominant in the fourth quarter of those two games. And, you know, I still think that the Clippers are slight favorites if those two teams end up squaring off in the playoffs, even though the Lakers would technically have home court advantage and would presumably, uh, you know, have the lion's share of the crowd, even maybe in some of the games that were technically Clippers home games. Uh, So if we go down to three and four, at, at this point, I would probably put Utah number three. They're going through a rough patch last night. Uh, the loss to the Blazers in, in Portland was their, uh, their fourth in a row. But before that, they had won 13 out of 14. And, you know, they've probably got the next, next okay. best two-player combination right now with Rudy Gobert and Donovan Better Mitchell, than Denver? both of whom were all-stars. Yeah, Denver doesn't necessarily have that second guy at that level. Jokic certainly belongs in that group. And, and even this year, you'd have to say Houston, because Russell Westbrook hasn't been quite at the, the MVP level we're used to, uh, as good as Harden has, has been. They don't have that two-all-star combination this year. Uh, Utah is the only team in that group that does. So I would put them number three, and I would probably at this point go Denver number okay. four, although you certainly could make a case for Houston or Dallas, who uh, you know has unexpectedly jumped up among this group because Luka Doncic has been so good. Kevin Pelton says Clippers, Lakers, Jazz, Nuggets, but you're entitled to change your opinion the next time you're on Mitch Unfiltered. That's the way it happens. Uh, it's I appreciate gr- that flexibility. <laughs> it's great to visit with you, Kevin. As I said, a belated Happy New Year. Great work. you got to follow him on Twitter, read his stuff on NBA.com, one of the terrific young NBA writers for ESPN and ESPN.com, Kevin Pelton on Mitch Unfiltered, episode 77. Great to visit with you. Thanks for doing it. All right. Thanks as always for having me. Kevin Pelton, ESPN NBA writer, Kobe, Dame, and the Western Conference hierarchy. You know that Daniels is celebrating its 40th anniversary and to commemorate this occasion, thank all their guests for the tremendous loyalty. Only Daniels Leshi now will be offering a bottle of Vouv Clicquot Yellow Label Champagne for $40 at dinner. Simply order one entree and the same bottle of Vouv Clicquot Yellow Label that Daniels currently offers for $145 is yours for just $40 that night. That's right. 
40 bucks. And while this is an exceptional offer, Daniels knows that the loyalty of their guests over a 40-year period clearly deserves an offer of this magnitude. Daniels lives by a simple philosophy. The needs of their guests come first, period. This $40 Vu Clico yellow label champagne is now available at Daniels Leshy seven days a week. Locally owned by the Schwartz family, South Lake Union, Leshy Marina Bellevue Place. And now the new downtown Hyatt Regency serving breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Daniels Broiler, world-class steakhouses. Unfiltered. Two-point territory. He'll put it up. They were looking for a foul call. Abaji comes the other way, and Kansas survives. Amir Wright. Boy, another four Send seconds to play. White. And Arizona State survives, coughing it up. With 15 seconds remaining. Bobby Hurley and the Sun Devils get out of Motlake with an 87-83 win over the Huskies, who have lost five straight. Fireside Home Solutions presents our chat with Jeff Goodman, longtime ESPN College Hoops guy, now with Stadium Sports and the Good and Plenty podcast. It's episode 77. Yeah, we're post-Super Bowl. Let's talk a little college basketball. And I, I have to put my hands over my eyes. I don't want to talk about the Huskies right at the beginning, Jeff. I need I, I need some time. I, I need to ease my way into this so let's just start with the weekend that was and just your general thought now that we're into february on college basketball number eight at home lost to unranked by 15 number 10 at home lost to unranked by 12 number 11 lost on the road to unranked by 10 14 lost 21 lost 23 lost and this is this is just about every saturday in college basketball so let me ask it to you this way. If there was one team, Jeff, one one program right now in the beginning of February that if you needed to put your house on to make the Final Four, you could attach your reputation to one team, what team? Throw the rankings out the window. What team would you, would you stake your reputation on? Boy, it's got to be one with a really good coach, a really good point guard. Uh, I, I guess I'd go Kansas. And they got a big, so you got Bill Self, you yep. got Dodson, and you got Big Doak. I don't. Yeah, again, I'm not sure I'd stake my house on any team <laughs> this year, but I guess, I guess that's the closest. You know, I'm thinking Kansas. I'm thinking an Oregon. I'm thinking a Duke because they got K. They got Trey Jones at the point. They got Vernon Carey in, uh, down low. So Oregon's got P- Peyton Pritchard, Dana Altman. They don't have as much down low right now because Nafali Dante hasn't come on like I thought he would because he's been hurt. Would you be at your queasiest in recent memories in the terms of the answer to that question? I mean, is this the year that it would be that you would just be, oh, my God, because none of these teams really look like, okay, they're the dominant force, that if they lose in the first round or in the second round, it would be a Virginia type of loss from a couple years ago. No, you're you're a hundred percent right. I mean, listen, the, the the bottom line in this is is it's as wide open as it's ever been. You and I have talked about it throughout the season. Nothing's changed with it, uh, and I think that's going to be, um, you know, kind of the, the the big talking point going into the NCAA tournament. You're going to hear it over and over and over, and you and I are going to be like, all right, we we've heard this all year. We know this, but for the casual fan, they don't know it, and uh, the fan filling out the bracket. 
I think it's going to be more upset, certainly on the sheet, than ever. Yeah. And they could come to fruition uh, more than ever as well. As I ease my way into the Huskies, this locally, this story, Jeff, I, I know you can imagine because you were here a few weeks ago, this story, yeah. it's not often that a Washington Husky basketball program has a recruiting class like this. The last time that it happened, it actually didn't come to fruition. You remember Lorenzo Romar's class that he had yeah. that never oh, yeah. never came because Romar, Romar was let go. They get yeah. these two yeah. incredible top five talents. One of them has been just a superstar. The other one has been one of the biggest disappointments, and we'll get to him in a minute. With eight conference losses, are we now at the point of no return that the Huskies, the only way the Huskies could conceivably play in the NCAA tournament would be to win in Vegas the Pac-12 tournament? Are we there yet? We're not there yet. We're, we're close, but oh. we're not quite there yet. Really? Because there's a, lot of, there's a lot of other crappy teams in front of them. And, and that's all I'll say is, yeah, they'd have to go on a run here, which doesn't really look possible because they don't have a point guard, right. um, or at least one that you can count on to close out games. But you know, ultimately, you know, you're you're fighting with still teams that are uh, not exactly lighting it up to stay in the NCAA tournament. You know, the the Virginias, the Purdue's of the world, the Floridas of the world, the Minnesotas and Alabamas. All I'm saying is, uh, it's not over yet. But it doesn't look overly promising, um, you know, based on what they've been doing lately, that they're going to be able to all of a sudden flip the switch and start winning some some big time games. But they have eight losses. So the best they could do in the regular season is 10 and 8, Jeff. 10 and 8. Yeah, and I'll tell you that that would get it done. Now, again, really? I don't think they're going to end up doing that. Right. Yeah, I, I, I do. I think that would absolutely get it done, okay. which is scary. Okay. But um, yeah, I mean, I think if. If you can go on a run, I've said it all year, you can go on a, you know, win five, six straight in any power conference right now. Yeah. You can go from, from off the bubble to, to being uh, not firmly in, but in, in. So, you know, it, it's not over. Uh, but again, they, they got to show some life to be able to close out some of these games. This Jaden McDaniel story is a real shame because he's still, at the end of the day, he's still yeah. an 18-year-old young man. He's still maturing. Sure. He's still learning the ropes. And for him to be a local star, come to Washington, and then have everybody – so many people are turning on him. It's been really a incredibly disappointing season. Do you think – the NBA is souring on him also just from the standpoint of one and done, or does none of this matter, Jeff? None of this matters. The NBA sees, what, 6'9", 6'10", and the upside, and it really doesn't matter at all what kind of year he has on the floor for the Huskies. Uh, I think it matters a little bit, but I don't think you're going to see all of a sudden Jay McDaniels fall out of the, uh, the, the lottery or anything like that. I still think he's a top-10 pick. Uh, because when you look at him, there's going to be an NBA team that brings him in for a workout. And I sat with him for a while, and, and I don't know him well, but he seems like a very nice kid who, again, every time I saw him in AU ball uh, and in college, you don't always know what you're going to get from him. Um, but you know, ultimately, he's playing with a, with a tough point guard situation right now. Hasn't played well of late for the most part. You know, had a couple good games, but, you know, he, he, he's certainly – uh, through this losing stretch has not 
you know, has not played to the level of his ability. But, I, you know, it's an, it's an awful draft. So if you told me he goes number five in the NBA draft, would I be shocked? No, not at all. Not at all. Would, would I be shocked if he goes 14? No, I, I think his range is honestly as high as four and probably as low as 14. So the idea that because of the horrible first year at Washington that he could somehow decide, I want to come back and play one more year, that that's ridiculous. <laughs> that's the most naive thing that Mitch Levy could ever say to Jeff Goodman, right? I, I just don't see it. When you're a lottery pick, I mean, find me how many lottery, lock lottery picks come back to school. There just aren't many anymore. So – uh, yeah, I mean, again, could it happen? Marcus Smart did it. That was years ago now. Uh, but, but again, nowadays, kids are leaving uh, when they're second-round picks. And, and this kid won't get near the second round. Wow. All right, Fireside Home Solutions brings you our chat with Jeff Goodman. Don't forget fireplace season, Fireside Home Solutions, also barbecues and garage doors. Let's get to some of these other laundry list items, and I'll let you go. Iowa and Illinois' coaching staffs got into it in the handshaking line after Iowa's win over the Illini. What happened, Jeff? So what happened here was end of the game. Game is kind of already in hand. Iowa's up, I believe, eight with about 10 seconds left. Um, Illinois scores. Iowa's got the ball. Illinois goes to trap. It was actually Fran McCaffrey, the coach yeah. by his yeah. son. Oh. They trap him. Oh. He's, a, he's a baseball player too, Mitch. He takes the ball. <laughs> And he throws it down, a perfect strike uh, to, I think it was Joe Wieskamp, who, le- who who lays it up and in for the for the layup. Well, yeah. it's eight. They're trying to go for the steal. The kid gets rid of the ball, throws a perfect pass, and Joe Wieskamp lays it up. So uh, the, assist- the assistant coaches at Illinois start barking at Fran McCaffrey. They're pissed off that, again, they feel like that was kind of a Bush League play to score at the end of the game when the game is already uh, in hand. But Again, if the game is already in hand, Why? don't send your players right. to, to trap the, the guy with the ball. Right. Thought they were running up the score? They did. Illinois did. Yeah. But to me, Illinois is still playing to, to win that game. So if you're Iowa, yeah. again, I don't I don't fault I don't fault Fred McCaffrey's kid for throwing the pass because he's gonna either be fouled or they're gonna try to steal the ball from him. And uh and Joe Wieskamp is is there for the layup. Maybe he shouldn't have laid it in. Uh, but he did whatever, whatever. I mean, who, honestly, these coaches get get all bent out of shape sometimes over nothing. Kawhi Leonard had his jersey retired in San Diego State's win over Utah State over the weekend. That means twenty three and zero for the Aztecs, but not in a power conference. Are we buying them? Are we buying San Diego State at twenty three and zero to the Final Four, Jeff? Uh, as much as anybody else, I mean, they got Malachi Flynn, a really good point guard who takes care of the ball and can score. They got Matt Mitchell, who was terrific in the game against Utah State, and he's he's a veteran who's really worked on his body and gotten into better shape. Uh, they've got guys that have just bought into their roles. A kid like KJ Fagan, who transferred from Santa Clara, averaged like 17 a game at Santa Clara two years ago. He's averaging like eight or nine a game and just guarding. Mm-hmm. Um, Life is pretty good for Brian Dutcher, the coach of San Diego State. As he tells me, you know, we're undefeated, and uh, I live in San Diego. What what could be bad, right? (laughs) I saw on your Twitter Bruce Pearl's record at Auburn uh, versus what the Auburn record was before he got there. I'm going to read it. This is via Jeff Goodman's Twitter, ladies and gentlemen. So if these stats are wrong, blame him. Don't blame me. 
Uh, Auburn from 2003 to 2016 uh, combined 185 and 222. So essentially 40 games under 500 from 2003 to 2016. Since Bruce Pearl got there in 16, 93 and 34, immediate turnaround, 60 games over 500. What is it? And he's not the most beloved guy on the face of the earth, at least in college basketball circles. But what is it? He's got the Midas touch. What is it about him? All right. So it, it works for him because he's been at places that, that, that he's had to really flip it. And he brings the energy. He brings the passion. So he gets the fan base riled up and excited. And then he gets his kids the same way. You know, like they play hard for him because uh, he gets them going and he demands that or else you're not going to play. And he plays, you know, he's got that passion and that intensity. Um, and he can coach. He can coach. And that's what we're seeing now. Before it was always, well, he gets his kids, kids to play hard and that's the reason why he's a good coach. No, no, no. He, he's a good coach because um, he, he can X and O as well. Um, they run, they press, they play hard. They do a little bit of everything. And think about this. They were like one in 33 in their last 34 games against Kentucky. He is four and three uh, in the last seven against uh, the Kentucky Wildcats and John Calipari. And, uh, you know, go to the final four last year, you lose guys early to the pros that aren't even really pro players, Jared Harper. Right. And now you got them where they're a fixture in the top 20. It's an annual tradition, Jeff, that at about February, we start asking the question, is the ACC going to get eight teams, nine teams, 10 teams? And yet here we are in 2020, 2020, asking the question outside of Duke, Louisville and Florida State. I'm not so sure I see a good team in the bunch. How about the drop off in the ACC? Have you ever seen a drop off after the third team? to the fourth team like we're seeing in the ACC. It's unbelievable, isn't it? Well, it's yeah, Virginia's rebuilding. So, you know, listen, you give Tony Bennett a mulligan for sure. Carolina's been a mess. And, like, teams like, you know, NC State should be better. Notre Dame has fallen off the last few years under Mike Bray. They're not what they, uh, they have been. Virginia Tech, obviously, is a new coach. And Buzz Williams didn't leave Mike Young a whole hell of a lot. So, yeah, the league – uh, has been an absolute mess this year other than probably those three teams. How many are they going to get in? They'll get four or five somehow. It, listen, Virginia, I'm not counting Tony Bennett out. The bottom line is the guy's going to figure a way to get into the NCAA tournament, and then maybe they sneak a fifth one in because somebody goes on a run to the ACC tournament like semis or finals. Yeah. You know, and, and somebody's got to get – listen, they've only got three good teams, so – Somebody's got to get to the semis no matter what, right? Somebody's going to get right. a double bye right. that's fourth in the regular season that right. has no right, right getting one. Right. My my beloved Orange had a chance on Saturday to beat – if they would have beaten Duke and it would have been like right. six out of seven. Yep. There's there's that little stretch that that's you're right. talking about from a big conference. You win five or six out of seven and you can go from somebody no one's talking about to into the field. Exactly. No question. And that's what I'm saying. If Syracuse can get to the uh, – you know, the semis, you know, and there'll probably be two teams. One of one of Duke, Florida State, or Louisville will get knocked off in, sure. the, in the ACC tournament probably before the semis. Right. So you're going to have two teams in the semis, and, and if one of them gets to the ACC finals, there'll be a lock in the NCAA tournament. That's what's going to happen. What about the Elijah Joyner story of Tulsa? Tell our listeners who Elijah Joyner is. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, he made a big, big shot, a game winner to beat uh, Wichita. And after the game, just showed, you know, raw emotion, crying, uh, talking about how his father was in attendance and never thought he'd make a shot like this or play at this level. Um, that was a great one if you haven't seen it. Uh, and the other one I tweeted out was the son of um, Tom Harrion, assistant coach at, at University of South Florida. His son has autism, Robert. Um, he's 14 years old. And the night before the game, Friday night, he and Tom had no idea this was going to happen. His son goes up and talks to the team and gives a passion, like passionate speech about just, you know, what autism is, mm-hmm. uh, how they're just like everybody else. They're different. Um, and, and the team, after he finishes, you know, starts going crazy. And uh, it was it was the coolest thing for me over the weekend. So while you had those two things going on, those cool things, you had another guy on Houston. I, I don't I don't remember. I, I joked with you on a text. <laughs> the last time I remember a basketball player biting another basketball player, and we're not talking Mike Tyson here, Tree Rollins. And in fact, Tree Rollins back in the 80s bit Danny, Danny Ainge. But I, I believe, yep. Jeff, that most people are under the impression that it was Danny Ainge who bit Tree Rollins. Danny's always gotten a, a bad rap of it. We, we saw that in college basketball over the weekend, didn't we? Yeah, we sure did. DeJean Giroux uh, from Houston uh, bit a player from Cincinnati. And uh, at first, Kelvin Sampson denied that it happened, uh, the, the head coach of Houston. But he was looking at the wrong video. And then after seeing the the correct video, which shows clearly shows uh, his player chomping down uh, on the leg of, of the Cincinnati player, he decided to suspend him for the two lane game this week, which I think was the right move. I think so. What are your number? Give me your four number one seeds as of the moment before you go. I, I mean, I think three. They're fairly easy, right? Baylor's a lock right. to me. Right. I, I think San Diego State's got to be a lock. Okay. Uh, okay. They're undefeated. Gonzaga is a lock. Okay. Uh, so there you got three that you never thought you'd be talking about. And I think Kansas is, is a lock right now. I think okay. the four right now are, are completely uh, not even debatable as of, as of right now. I mean, the fifth team is probably like Louisville uh, or Duke. And I think there's a little bit of separation right now. So I, it'll change. We got all the whole month of February here in conference tournaments, but right now, I, I think they're clear as day. Love you, Jeff Goodman, uh, Stadium Sports. Also follow him on Twitter and listen to him on the Good and Plenty podcast. He'll be with us all season long, every so often talking college basketball as we kind of count you down to Selection Sunday. What five or six weekends away? That's all. Before you know it, we'll be filling out brackets all over again. Jeff, great to have you back on episode seventy-seven. Thanks, Mitch. Appreciate it, my man. My guy, Jeff Goodman, the voice of college basketball on Stadium Sports, formerly of ESPN, on the wacky world of the college basketball season and the Jaden McDaniel story, which, boy, I hope gets better before the end of the season. Maybe in the Pac-12 tournament, he'll turn it around and they'll turn it around. More and more Northwest people are calling Jordan Flowers and the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. One of Hot Shots buddies just took the time to make the call. Stop procrastinating and continuing to pay more each month. The Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage will do a deal that keeps you right where you are now. No starting over the 30-year period. A refinance gets you out of your mortgage insurance, which is... More and more Northwest people are calling Jordan Flowers and the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. One of Hot Shots' buddies just took the time to make the call, so stop procrastinating and continuing to pay each month. The Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage will do a deal 
that keeps you right where you are now. No starting the 30-year period over. A refinance gets you out of your mortgage insurance, which is costly. And also, you can pull some money out to do those home improvements that you've always wanted to do. There's only one thing that you should not be doing, and that's just sitting there unwilling to, at the very least, make a 10-minute phone call to Jordan Flowers. I had lunch with him on Thursday. There are three of the nation's top 1% brokers in the Kirkland office alone. 425-250-3150. The worst thing that can happen is after 10 minutes, you find out, hmm, I can't do better than I'm doing right now. But the flip side is, what I think you're going to find out is that you could save some money from the Kirkland office of Gil Mortgage. Call Jordan and his team. 425-250-3150. Unfiltered. Alexander Walker trying to get that one to go over. Pirtle could not. And there is Zion Williamson, his first NBA basket. And this is special. It is absolutely special. Well, as episode 77 continues, you know, the Super Bowl isn't the only sport being played in the last several days. We've got Zion Mania, of course, in the NBA. He's now played five games. And joining us is our old pal on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline, Andrew Lopez, ESPN Pelicans insider. All right, Andrew, five games played, 19 points, eight rebounds per in only about 25 minutes per. I know in the fifth game on Sunday, he played 33 minutes. Wrap up for us, summarize for us what you've seen having watched courtside all five games. Yeah, it's it's been quite the show. I mean, he definitely looks like he's going to be a star. I thought in the preseason, uh, you know, he put up 23 points and six and a half rebounds in the preseason. Uh, but a lot of sometimes that was against, you know, guys who aren't even on rosters anymore. Right. And now... What he's doing, it's, I mean, he's going through big time names, big time defenders. And, uh, you know, to be sitting here averaging 19 and eight, you know, two weeks into your NBA career, I think that's pretty good. I, I'm not, I'm not an expert, but I'm pretty sure that's, those are good stats to be having, uh, or to have, I should say, you know, playing just 25 minutes a night. And most important for the Pelicans, they're three and two in those five games. So it's led to some modicum of team success so far, right? Yeah, they've had, uh, you know, success with him on the floor every game throughout the, his stint so far, he's had a positive plus minus every game so far. Okay. Um, I think his, his offensive rating, his net rating uh, is, is somewhere like 14.9. I think there's only one player who's averaging 20 minutes a game who's got a better net rating with, than that. I think it's Dante DiVincenzo for the Bucks. So he has just been excelling. And, you know, after, after the game on Sunday, Alvin Gentry was, was upset because he was going, you know, minutes and, and stretches without getting uh, a touch. And Alvin's like, that can't happen. He has to touch the ball. He's Zion Williamson. So you you can see how important he is to what the Pelicans want to do. Andrew, that's so funny that you say that. You kind of beat me to the punch, as you always do. I have it on my notes. I'll read it to you. It says, interesting that in the couple of games that I saw, that Mitch saw, that he had gone sometimes two, three, four possessions in a row down the floor 
without touching the ball. And I was going to wonder aloud that to you. They've got Drew Holiday. They've got Brandon Ingram. What ultimately will he become when everybody gets up and running? Is he the is he the first option? Does the ball go through Zion, or is at least in his rookie season, does he kind of defer to some of these other guys? I think still the first option is and should be Brandon Ingram. The way that he's shooting the ball right now, the way that he can get to the rim, uh, averaging 25 points. Obviously, he's named an All Star uh, in the Western Conference. Uh, he. He's going to be the guy I think the offense runs to. Drew can kind of take a step back, be the secondary guy that he he kind of excels in that role where he can he can take a step back on the offensive end, step up when he needs, but at the same time he can put all that you know all the defense in that he needs to. Uh, Zion is ultimately he's going to have mismatches a lot of times when he's down the floor, uh-huh. whether whether they're guarding him with a four or whether they're guarding him with a five. Uh, so we saw him against Memphis just completely go by uh, Valanciunas. We saw him against Houston uh, go up against P.J. Tucker in the post and win more often than not. So he's going to have uh, mismatches most every time he gets down to the floor. There's not a lot of people who are going to be able to guard him one-on-one, which is crazy to say about a kid who's 19 years old. But he he gets those mismatches, and that's why they want to try to get it to him as much as possible. When you're averaging, you know, 19 and 25 minutes, that's a good thing. With all of the great things that he's done, and we've seen a lot of the highlights on Sports Center. I've watched a couple of the games. I don't mean any disrespect, but but 19 points and eight rebounds in 25 minutes, and yet I don't know. There, there's he does it. Is he 100 healthy? And the reason I ask that is. At certain points up and down the floor, he doesn't look like he's got, I don't know, the suddenness. There's there's something that's a little different, at least in his look, his outward appearance from the Duke, the Duke year last year. Do you guys see that? Has that been talked about, or is it exactly the same, and I'm just seeing something different? No, I think it's the the conditioning more than anything else. Yeah. I, I don't think there's anything wrong, structurally wrong, or, or, or anything like that. I, I think it's – he's still winded. Because, I mean, there's only so many reps that you can get in practice. Right. Whether you're playing three-on-three with coaches, three-on-three with players. You and I know very well. To, to get into basketball shape, you have to play basketball. <laughs> and – I think that's what we're kind of seeing play out right now with Zion is he, he needs to get it. Like you can see the energy and the burst in those three, four minutes. And then he, he starts to wear down a little bit, minute five, minute six. That's when they're pulling him out. Uh, he, he talked uh, after the Houston game about not having a minutes restriction anymore. It's more of they're just kind of watching him. And that's what I've been told too from some sources in the front office there isn't a. They're just kind of monitoring his his conditioning at this point. Yeah. How how does he feel? How does he look? Uh, is he dragging? Is he is he able to get that that closeout? Because I think you still see some of the explosiveness. Obviously, you've seen it on some yeah. of the dunks. Yeah. Uh, you've seen it on his second jump. Yeah. Uh, he his his offensive rebounding is elite. So I think where when he just gets tired. That's that's the part that they're they're working on. Right what do you now. think the truth is behind the much discussed weight? that everybody seems to have an opinion on. You know, I, I think he's he's maybe a little bigger than the listed 285. Not much, um, but I know that inside the organization, they're okay with where he is um, as long as he maintains the flexibility 
that he has right now. That's what's important to them is the flexibility that he's uh, exhibiting. We They're s- okay with him having, you know, being that weight. If, if all of his tests are coming back that he's good, he's not putting the, that amount of stress on his joints. Right. Uh, so that's kind of what they took some extra time to work on. Um, and, and that, you know, he's just naturally a, a large boy. human he's being. He's a big boy, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we've seen it a lot. But I've also seen him practice. I've seen him in the – I mean – seen him in the locker room without, you know, without a shirt on. He did his interview like that today. Yeah. He's not fat. He's just a, a huge human being. He's built more like a defensive lineman yeah. who's 280, 290 yeah. than, than a basketball player. And I just think that's just how he's built. He just, you know, is also able to jump 45 inches in the air. <laughs> one last one, and we'll talk about those 45 inches with Andrew Lopez, the ESPN Pelicans insider on Zion Mania. Five games in, Pelicans 3-2, and two, 19 points, 8 rebounds a game in only 25 minutes. He's shooting 63% from the field, and he's making his three. In fact, we saw highlights. We saw the threes, the four threes in a row that he made the first game, and we've seen some dunks and some, some ex- exciting stuff, but I think the... The, my, my favorite highlight so far was when he came over for help side defense and blocked that ball. I don't know if it was in game two or three, blocked that ball into like the fourth or fifth row. What have we seen so far? What's the consensus on his ability to defend at the NBA level? Right now, his one-on-one defending still needs some work. Uh, I think there was a clip in the Cleveland game where Colin Sexton got on him. Yeah. It's either Colin Sexton or Darius Garland, one of the guards. And they tried to lose him, and he stayed in front. He showed the great you know, quickness uh, coming out of, a, I think it was an inbounds play, and end up forcing, you know, either a, bad, forcing a bad shot. Uh, there are still times where he'll get blown by very easily um, when he's one-on-one, if he gets switched onto a guard. Uh, he's holding his own in the post. It's those one-on-one matchups where he just doesn't have the foot speed right now, or, or, it's, or it's the confidence to, have, to be able to – to kind of fall back in those situations. So he, he's definitely showing improvement there. And obviously he's going to have those, those help side blocks. He's going to have right. uh, times like that. I think he got one off the, uh, off the backboard when they played the Rockets. So he's, he's taking steps in that direction. I think that's just, you know, the, the individual one-on-one defense when he has to guard on the perimeter is where he really uh, probably needs the, the most work. right And now. New Orleans? What can you tell us about how much he's captured the imagination? Of course, we all know New Orleans Saints. We, we know about LSU. Basketball has always taken a, a, a deep second act to those things, to those, to those other great sports. What, what, what can you tell us about how much they've embraced him in New Orleans and what, what kind of excitement level they have in New Orleans? It's amazing how, how, how I mean, even during the 45 games or so that he didn't play, how many Zion jerseys you saw game after game after game. Uh, there's, there's people who, I mean, there's a, just a sense of excitement around the team right now. You got to think going back to this time last year, they probably had the same record that they did when AD made the, the trade request. I mean, they, they were going to not make the playoffs. Things looked bad and the outlook just looked terrible. Even now, 50, 50 games into the season, there's a, there's a sense of optimism. Even if the Pelicans don't make the playoffs this year, there's a sense of optimism around that they're growing and that there's potential and they can see the, you know, the growth potential in having Zion 
and Jackson Hayes and Nikhil and Lonzo and Brandon Ingram and all those young guys. And, you know, it, there's a real sense of, of excitement in the city right now that, that Zion is going to be, one, really, really good, and two, really, really exciting for years to come. Well, you've been following them for a long time. Go back to when when uh, Anthony Davis was young and bursting onto the scene and it looked like he was going to be, and he was, one of the great players in the NBA, superstar player, before we got to the point where he became disenchanted or he wanted to go somewhere else. When he was just, when he was where Zion is now, how would you compare and contrast the excitement for Davis then versus Zion now? I think it's probably, I, I can definitely see where today like those same fans are probably I, I mean it, it, it's a I don't want to say it's living in the moment right now but it does seem like they're more excited right now okay because of how the front office is built uh when they got Anthony Davis in 2012 you'd already had a couple years uh with Dell Demps who obviously had to had to navigate a very difficult Chris Paul trade because of the ownership situation and they rushed that but the, what's kind of being sold to the team right now sold to the fans I should say is that David Griffin is looking long-term. He's not going to try to to rush the process. And I think that was where things kind of got out of hand with uh, the Dell Demps years is they, they basically tried to just hurry up and let's, let's we got to win now, we got to win now, we got to win now. And I think under, under Griff, what you're seeing is it, it doesn't matter. We don't have to win right this second. We right. can take our time. Right. Uh, so that's where I think you're kind of at right now. So where they can kind of sit back, relax a little bit, and watch this team grow. If they make it this year, great. If they don't, you know, they're setting it up. And I think yeah. the fans are more excited for that. Uh, also because of Zion's personality. I mean, if we're being quite honest, Zion's personality is he's a lot more bankable yeah. uh, than a guy like Anthony Davis. He, he yeah. came in with so many uh, endorsements early, whether yeah. it was, you know, getting signed to Jordan, being the face of the Jordan brand early, uh, Gatorade, Mountain Dew, Beats, uh, a Panini trading card. Like there's so many major sponsorships um, that kind of eluded Anthony Davis when he was here. And I think that's another reason why people are so excited is because they feel like ultimately people are going to want to come play with a guy like Zion in a way that they didn't necessarily want to come to New Orleans to play with Anthony Davis. And- Not that it was just because of Anthony Davis, but because of the entire situation. I think they see the, the franchise as a whole in a better place than where it was, um, you know, when AD first got here. Andrew Lopez, ESPN Pelicans Insider on episode 77. Thank you, Andrew. Great to visit with you again. Thanks for doing it. Thank you. Good stuff. Andrew Lopez, ESPN, ESPN.com, Pelicans Insider. Zion Mania is up and running. With both the NFL and college football seasons officially now in the books, a gigantic thank you to John Waterstott's Fireside Home Solutions for partnering up with Unfiltered during the football season. What a pleasure and privilege it's been to be connected with such a fabulous company, which has been at the forefront of the fireplace, barbecue setups, and garage doors for all of these years. Peter King, Brady Henderson, Rick Neuheisel, Jason Lockenfor, all those voices that have brought expertise, information, and fun to the show, not possible without Fireside Home Solutions. Every time I drive into my neighborhood and see a Fireside Home Solutions van sitting in a driveway, I smile from ear to ear, and it's happening more and more. Whether it's a new energy-efficient fireplace this winter, a new set of garage doors, or even a high-end barbecue setup, the first call you should make, Fireside Home Solutions, or 
FiresideHomeSolutions.com. They'll come to your home free of charge, and they'll work with you on the solution that's best for your budget and your situation. I love them. Thank you, John. Fireside Home Solutions. Unfiltered. Episode 77 concludes with, of course, the other stuff segment. We just did an interview on Damian Lillard. Last six games, 51 and 12, 48 and 10, 36 and 11, 50 and 13, 47 and 8, 61 and 7. The only man to average 48 points and 10 assists in a six-game stretch. 48 points and 10 assists. Now, think about what I'm saying. About right. It. I was just thinking about it. any six-game stretch in the history six of the Six-game stretch. This is, this is one of the – this is an historic six-game stretch. Think about this for a second. So, if he, if he scores 40 – let's like 49 a game during these six games. That's right. 49 points. And 10 assists. Each of those assists accounts for how many points? At least. Two. Two. Sometimes three. three. Yeah. So let's say those 10 assists on the average account for 23 points. 20 plus, let's say, three threes. Okay. Okay? 23 points. So in the last six games, one guy before the Portland Trailblazers even start, <laughs> 49 and 23. Eastgate State, what does that equal? 49 and 23. 72. One guy before they start, they can bank on 72 points. Unreal. One guy being responsible for – think about that for The rest of the guys can just, like, have a sandwich. 70 – well, they got to score off his assists. But, <laughs> yeah, yes, they can true. have a sandwich in the other hand. <laughs> 72 points Unreal. per game he has accounted for in the last six games. 72 points per game. Right? These games, they end up, whatever, 110 to 105. 105 – 72 of them. It's amazing. One guy. I'm trying to think of, like, the last great scorer but who also had a lot of assists. It's usually one or the other, right? Like, I believe- Magic Johnson would never have – like, he'd rarely have, like, 40 or 50 points. No, no, he would never do that. Right. Yeah. Because he would have a lot of assists. Well, it's – So, the it's, combination is unbelievable. It's never been happened. 45, 45 and more, 10 assists or more in six games never happened in the NBA. It's amazing. I would love to go down and see a game at some point. David Purdom, you kind of turned me on to David oh, Purdom. Episode seventy six P. I started best following gambling him. writer in the business. ESPN's gambling writer. Yes. So he had this funny thing after the Super Bowl that just made me laugh. He said more money was bet on Patrick Mahomes rushing yards than any other prop, according to William Hill Sportsbook. Now listen to this: Patrick Mahomes rushing yards. It opened up at twenty nine point five. Over under. You yeah, can over bet under. either over twenty nine point five or under. Yeah. It was bet up to thirty six and a half. So people were hitting that uh, that over. I probably would have too at twenty nine and a half, right? Yeah. yeah. So it ended at thirty six point five. All right. Mahomes had forty four yards rushing before that final drive. So if you have the over, you're loving it. You hit it. He's got forty four yards. Okay. Um he lost fifteen yards on <laughs> kneel downs to finish with twenty nine. <laughs> he finished with twenty nine. You oh. imagine. So by the way, Vegas <laughs> cleaned up because you're saying all the money was on the over 29 and a half and then it bet up 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 yeah up. kept betting so it up yeah the, so the vast majority of money wasn't so anything under 29 and a half they won big yep he had 29 yards uh, gambling stories always make me laugh that's why they live in big houses and send their kids to ivy league school <laughs> that's right great pino cook uh one of the uh <laughs> one of the great comments he used to make time and time again on the show uh let's see here mvp lamar jackson Offensive rookie of the year, Kyler Murray. Many are upset that Josh Jacobs, the Raiders running back, didn't get it. Antonio Brown apologizes. He calls himself the cancer of the NFL. I don't know if we're going to spend any time with that. Lamar, let's go with Lamar Jackson MVP. 
Should they wait? Remember, all the all the voting happens before the playoffs begin. So he yeah. goes out and, <laughs> and and loses in the first game, gets upset in the first game. Should that count? Should voting should should voting be mandatory that you wait until the season ends, including the postseason, or are we doing it the right way? voting after the regular season ends so that we can anoint an MVP of the regular season. Which I've, do you like? I've always thought it was silly to not vote until after the playoffs, right? Because yeah. that's part so of your you, season. I mean, it, it's part of the season you played in. Why would we not wait? I've always thought to that was kind of both. silly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Would he have won it? That's a great question. I think he would have. You think I still, still think he would. I'm trying to think who finished second. I, I don't have it in my well, notes. We're all Mahomes. We're loving Mahomes, and yeah. you know that that's the problem. It's like yeah, yeah. Mahomes would have come on strong. Just in the won playoffs. the Super Bowl. So maybe we ought to just <laughs> vote at the end of the regular season. Yeah, maybe I've just yeah. It maybe is a grind. Right. It's a seven. It's a, you know yeah. sixteen games over seventeen weeks. Maybe it's a really a regular season award. I don't know. And it wasn't. I mean, he was. I think I saw he was the he was the second unanimous league MVP. There's only been one other guy to, to unanimously wow, win it. I so. did not know that. Tom Brady was the other one. Steve Hutchinson, Troy Palamalu. Oh, I was feeling for Isaac you. Bruce, Edrin James, Steve Atwater, Jimmy Johnson, Bill Cowher. What name's missing? <laughs> I saw that he was trending. I love myself some Zach. I know. I know. I, I don't think he's recognized as one of the great linebackers. It's, I, it's a shame. Statistically, numerically, he's Brian Urlacher and then some. If you look at the numbers between Brian Urlacher, who was a first ballot Hall of Famer, for whatever reason, maybe because he's short and he has no neck. I mean, he didn't have a neck. Well, that works to his advantage. Well, I guess Earl Lackard really didn't have a neck. Yeah, most of those guys don't, yeah. He's a little short guy. He's an over... Maybe they just don't look at him as a Hall of Famer. I guess they don't. I well, guess Clearly the they don't. don't. Which is really sad to me because I'm a big Zach Thomas guy. I saw a headline that said, former NFL linebacker pays visit to lifelong fan. And I swear to God, I thought I was going <laughs> to see your face. <laughs> what, you thought he was going to be here tonight? <laughs> yeah, I was going to be sitting here. But it was really cool because this guy that works at ESPN, who's also a huge Dolphins fan, he sent he sent, uh, sent Zach a touching video ahead of the Super Bowl in Miami. And then uh, somehow the bartender at the hotel knew Zach and hooked him up and they got, you know, they got, he got to meet his idol. So he seems like a great guy, this Zach Thomas. He can't buy his way into the yeah, Hall of Fame. Maybe he'll get in someday. How many tackles does he have to make? Edron James, I don't know. Uh, you remember him? Lifelong Seahawk. <laughs> Lifelong Seahawk. <laughs> Franco Harris. Yeah, so. Um, Jerry Rice. A lot of Hall of Famers come through Seattle at the end. That's their ticket to the Canton, Ohio. Well, I remember. You got to do Seattle at the very, very end of your career. And then if you want to go NBA, I remember Patrick Ewing in the lobby of our building <laughs> at a press conference. <laughs> Patrick Ewing is Sonic. Anyway, Edron James, I don't know if you saw, he recently filled his car up with $1 million bills. Do you see any of this nonsense? No. Okay, he just How got do into do that. The, well, he has a picture of him. You can find him. They're just like, they're like wrapped in plastic. They're just like these big, like, I don't know, big. Oh, filled his car up. Okay, I'm thinking gas. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> I really I like, you're filling the gas tank Jesus. up. Really, I don't know. You got me thinking gas tank for some reason. Yeah, so he just filled his car up with a million one dollar bills okay, yeah. because he's co-hosting a four day series of concerts that will culminate with a stripper bowl following Super Bowl Live or L I V. He he owns a strip club in Miami. I don't know if you knew that or not. Yeah. I'd love the day that he gets inducted into the Hall of Fame. He's also hosting what, stripper bowl. The strip club that he owns in Miami does um was that what I was watching at halftime, or was that- <laughs> Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Pretty damn close, Now, right? you said you went to the store. You have no interest in J-Lo. Or, like, I I'm, I was very interested. I like them. I like them both. To tell you how little of interest I have, when I was in Detroit for the Super Bowl, the Rolling yeah. Stones were performing, That's who right. I like. I was there. And I couldn't yeah. watch it. I was just like, nah. No? Nah, couldn't do Bruno it. Bruno Mars at one of them? Nah, it doesn't Maybe do Maybe at the Arizona me. one? No? No halftime. 
Bruno Mars was the yeah the uh, I thought, 48. I thought, I thought we saw him at one of them. Yeah, yeah maybe the one that they won. Yeah, there's the one yeah. they won. I think I think uh, Katy Perry was at one. She came up. She was like suspended in midair at one of the Seattle. Oh, is that uh, right? Maybe, but you don't not, you don't want to know from any halftime. Nah, show. I just I had to go no. get food. I had stuff to do. You had to go get food. But so I you haven't seen it. What did your wife think of it? Well, I I called her. I said, can you please pause it after the halftime show? I was like, how was it, by the way? And she said, um, I don't think it was really appropriate for a family program. <laughs> she thought it was a little much for for all the eyes. I guess I'm sometimes the most naive guy in the room because I watched it. I enjoyed it. Uh, I enjoyed both of their performances. And I tapped my toe and I liked all the dancing. I'm a big, I, I love dancing. I like shows. I like theatrics. You know, I like Broadway musicals. Yeah, yeah. I like babies. I've never seen an ugly baby or a bad Broadway musical, okay? <laughs> I like it all. And I guess I did notice that there was a stripper pole at one point or whatever. But I was, no, I, I, I guess I was just oblivious to the fact that this was on some level a little risque. Because at the end, I said to my wife, I said, how did, how did you like it? And she said, you know, I liked the music and I liked it all, but I thought that the poll was out of place. I thought, yeah. it, I don't think it was family. And I was like, what do you mean? And, and then she said the poll was out of place. I was like, what? And I, I, had to do like a, I had to do like a thing in my memory bank to try to remember the poll. I don't know that I even really noticed. <laughs> I, I wasn't really even noticing how kind of, I don't know, RPG 13 it was. I, I don't know. I, mean, I, I, thought, I, I really liked it until she started pointing out, and then you say, your wife said the same thing, yeah. that it may not have been fam, a very good family-oriented. I mean, my wife's a teacher of grade school kids. She's a little, a little uptight, you know. She's a, <laughs> she's a little stiff. Well, she is the mother of a, of a 10-year-old girl, right? That's true, she is. By the way, did you celebrate the first truly international palindrome day in 909 I, years? I heard about it yesterday. I heard about it this morning. Oh, you that's did? It, that, that was on, I heard about it on Sunday yes, morning. Yes, you did, on Super on Bowl Sunday, Sunday morning. morning yeah. Yeah. yeah, for Sadie's 16th birthday. Oh, is that right? We had all the dogs over. <laughs> Big party? Huge party. <laughs> yeah. My wife prepared for it all weekend long. Pinata, the whole thing? The whole thing. Like, uh, she made, from scratch, <laughs> cupcakes for the dogs. Come on, really? I'm, I'm not kidding you. <laughs> Jeez. Cupcakes from scratch that were dog-friendly, all regular product. Oh, that's so sweet. Uh, and we had all the dogs in the neighborhood over. They were running around crazy oh outside. God. Don't go watch where you step on your way back yeah. out to the And one of the one of the parents who brought their dog over to celebrate Sadie's 16th birthday uh, told me that it was National Pound and explained to me the whole, what was it, 0202-2020 spelled the same forward and backwards, right? You nailed it. Nice work. The first one in 909 years, and I'm sure... And the sure next one is in another 100 years? I can't do the math. I don't know. What, <laughs> what do you want from me here? I mean, just... Call your old girlfriend from University of Washington. <laughs> yeah, she was actually pretty there. smart, yeah. Um, there was a lot of ones. She'll that, ask Golden Kroots. <laughs> there were plenty in there that weren't rocket scientists, but she was actually... Kind uh, of, being, Brett, Brett Levy, what is it? 900 years. Every 900 years. I would have thought that there'd be like a third, uh, 21. A O. Oh, Two or one two two one I or can't I, do whatever. It. I anyway, can't, the, I can't do it. <laughs> the last one was 11 11 11 11. Make a wish. No, whenever it's 11 11 on the clock, I say make a wish. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't All right. Know. So there you go. I hope you enjoyed your day. Okay. We haven't discussed on a non patron episode, patron, just give a thought on the Kraken. Oh, yeah. But the Kraken. So now are you convinced it's not Kraken? No, I don't know. I have no idea. You you told me it's cracking like I crackle. think it's cracking. Okay. So what do you think of it? Tell everybody because not everybody's a patron. You like Seattle? I, like the name. I was I was rooting for sockeyes. You don't like Seattle nah, sockeyes. I think that's weak. A salmon? Nah. 
That's weak. A fish. I just wanted something that was indigenous to the area, and I don't see where a kraken is. Uh, <laughs> and I just love saying it that way. I, I just don't see where a kraken is. Is Seattle? What's Seattle about a kraken? Well, it's where it's a it's a it's a mythical sea creature that it's not in, it's not like known to be in the Pacific Ocean or right. Well, I mean, how do you know? I mean, do you, well, there's a lot not, of ocean not, they haven't not, looked at. It's, it's not Seattle. Well, it's a giant octopus thing. It's not Northwest. Giant octopuses are indigenous to Seattle. Are they? Yeah, in the Puget Sound, they have giant octopi or octopuses. I don't know. And I only know because I've been to the stupid aquarium 10 times with my daughter. If that's the case, I like the word Kraken. Well, if you don't like it, what do you like better? I told you, sockeyes. Seattle That's or the, the Metropolitans. What about the old Metropolitans? We did a segment not too long ago on the first what North American team to win the Stanley Cup, the Seattle Metropolitans. Yeah. But you like, I the, like Kraken. the Kraken? Yeah. All right, so it looks like it's. I don't know that, that that's not official, right? We're not saying. I don't. I haven't seen that. It's, it's been official. rumored that it's going to be official. Right. Did you see why they're not doing the um, what was it Seattle freeze? No, somebody has a um, a series of books. What am I thinking of? They were worried about litigation. The Seattle, what? What were one of the? What were some of the, the finalists? I, I saw Freeze and Sockeyes. Those the uh, totems or? No, I think we're forgetting one. Unless it's the sock. No, it's not the Sockeyes. But somebody had books that was kind of. Somebody similar. did a series of books and had had rights to the word, and they were worried about a, a struggle, and so they didn't go down that right. And, I've, and I'm I'm confused and not remembering what that was, and so. Every person that's listening probably knows. And thinking, <laughs> they're yelling that we're dummies. All right, we can. Uh, you have any other ones before we get out of here? Quick, Tom Brady in an Oakland Raiders uniform. Would that look weird? Yes, very. But don't they have a quarterback? Is yeah, they do. Carr Derek Carr. Still there? Yeah. I mean, David or Derek? I'm not sure which yeah, one it I can't is. Keep them straight. I yeah. think it's Derek. Um, Tom Brady in a Las Vegas Raider uniform. Bizarre. Not going to happen. Yeah, he's going back to New England. Think Mark so. Awards. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Athlete of the week. You got one. Well, I have a non, I have what I call the anti-athlete of the week. This is our first ever anti-athlete of the week. Okay. That was me on Super Bowl Sunday. Dejon Giroux of the University of Houston is the anti-athlete of the week. On Saturday in a game between Houston and whomever, Cincinnati, do you know what Dejon Giroux did? Was in a, a game a Saturday. Basketball game. Yeah. Was there a bite? Yes. <laughs> I thought I saw that headline. <laughs> Jesus, was it Evander? Was it Mike Tyson's son? No. <laughs> he took a he took a bite out of out of crime. He took a he took a bite out of the, the opposing team's leg. And there's got to be video. I saw. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, Just God. took a bite out of him. <laughs> so he's the anti athlete of the week. All right, I like it. I, I, it's hard for me to to tell you about the athlete of the week because you have to see the video, and I know that's the case every week with these things. But there's a guy by the name of Elijah. I'm, I'm, I'm staying on college basketball. You may or may not. You probably haven't seen the video. It's very easy to find. There's a guy named Elijah Joyner. He's a Tulsa guard who's bio, he was estranged from his biological father. I don't know if he was adopted or what have you. He didn't have a relationship with his biological father. Okay. And they've recently started to get, get together. And the guy was able to come. This was the first game that his biological oh, father wow. ever saw him play. And I think a guy includes high school and grade school. The first game he was in attendance. He hits a 32-footer at the buzzer to win the game and then sits in front of a microphone in the press conference and breaks down talking about how special the day was. It, it was, if you don't cry watching this, <laughs> yeah. then please go to the doctor, call 911, yeah. and get your emotions checked. This was the this was one of the, the, the sweetest things. And, and, I, and I was just sitting there saying to myself, and I know that I'm going to be sappy now, but it... I needed it. I think we all need it. We all need to watch 
a, a, a triumphant story of a of a son yeah. having a father finally come to his game and then hit an off-balance 30-32-footer at the buzzer to win the game on the day to these, and then talk about it after after what's happened in the last week. Yep. We needed that. That's great. I'm going to go back. I'm going to go watch it. But I don't know if I'll cry, but I'm going to go watch it. If you watch the highlight of the play, but then okay. watch you. Afterwards. I want you to report back on 77P <laughs> okay. whether you watch the post-game <laughs> remarks. The guy just breaks down and cries about having it, what it meant to him to have his biological father there. It's very Incredible. sweet. Incredible. Incredible. Now, you're, you're not a, you're, you don't have a son, but you have a daughter and you can, you know, parent can figure that out, right? I really wanted my daughter to wear my football number, which was 43, but she didn't. But then I hear that Kobe Bryant's daughter didn't in even. football or in basketball? <laughs> you know, whatever she plays, just yeah. be, be 43. Because she didn't like Leonard Weaver. <laughs> That's probably why. But then I hear that Kobe's daughter didn't wear his number either, so I guess. <laughs> Yeah, well, she wants to make a name for herself. Know, your dad's Kobe Bryant. Yeah, she so doesn't want to what, live. What you're, chance did I have? Piper doesn't want to live under a hotshot shadow. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Who does? <laughs> Real quick. That large shadow that you cast. <laughs> and I saw my own shadow, so spring will continue or whatever. Yeah, I don't Puxitani know. Puxatani film. That's right. Uh, I ran into an old friend, Jim Moore. I don't know how well you know Jim Moore from uh, 710 ESPN. We just stopped. We talked about him on the last episode. Did we not? I think we did. We, we bring him up. I bring him up every time I talk oh, the about Richard the Richard Sherman. Sherman thing. That's right. Richard Sherman undressed him in a press conference for no good reason and said he's going to take his press credential away. <laughs> You'll never go to another game the rest of your life if I have anything to do with it. And where did that get Richard Sherman? Who's laughing now? <laughs> anyway, Jim says he listens to the podcast. It well, was very Jim, nice of him. Well, Jim would have covered uh, Sammy Watkins a little bit better. <laughs> Jim could he, <laughs> And might have gotten to the pylon a little bit better than Richard Sherman. <laughs> he may have. So Jim listens. He says he listens to the podcast. The Marlboro Man, we used to call him. Back in the day, oh, he was really? just a writer. And then he became a, a big big shot sportscaster slash radio drive, talk show host. Star, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm glad. He does listen? Or do you think he's just saying it? Well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, he said... He grab his phone and look at his history? <laughs> I should have. <laughs> but I got to meet his wife for the first time. Delightful oh, lady. Nice. So, yeah, it was a nice visit So, is this like Moore. a shout out to him? We want to call uh, this episode Jim Moore? <laughs> episode Jim Let's Moore. See if he hears it. <laughs> That'll episode, be a good test. Uh, episode Marlboro Man? They don't know if he was... Sh- like, I think he's got twin boys about the same age as my son. I mean, I, I, they're 15. Very, okay, so like in the middle of my kids. Yes, twin a boys. A little older than my oldest, uh, my youngest, and a little younger than my oldest. Because he was uh, at a basketball game. Yeah, and, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, he's always been a sweet guy. Yeah, it was I love Jim. Should we great call it episode him. Jim Moore? Because well, it, otherwise we're gonna, it's going to be Jeff Bryant or something. Well, Lyle Alzado's a pretty good one. Lyle Alzado? What the hell did Lyle Alzado do he besides kick Jim Moore's ass? ass. Well, everybody <laughs> can kick Jim Moore's ass. And Lyle Alzado can kick everybody's yeah. ass. Do you I, remember when he fought Holly? <laughs> He's the toughest man in the world. He gets uh, in the ring with Ali. All right, call it whatever really, you want. You really want episode Lyle Alzado? I like him, but we don't have to do it. If you have a better one, well, 77. Be episode Lyle Alzado or Red Grange or Pierre Turgeon or Paul Coffey or Ray mm-hmm. Bork or Floyd Porkchop Womack or Olin Krutz from Washington or Jeff Bryant or episode Jim Moore. <laughs> he might be 77. Maybe that would work. No, he's no, not. I'm kidding. He's not a day older than 74. <laughs> <laughs> Episode Jim Moore is in the books.